2: Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2.
1: Play it now with Game Pass.
2: On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a
0: series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 is out now on Exactly Right. New episodes on Mondays. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable.
2: We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun!
0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to That's Messed Up and SVU podcast. As always, I'm Kara Clank. Oh, hey, Kara. It's me, Lisa, your <laughs> co-host. Oh, hi, Lisa. We
2: talk SVU, crimes, interviews. It's a jam-packed um podcast episode. And I know we have a great podcast because the listeners keep telling us, so we gotta <laughs> believe them at some point. We can't just be like, "Oh, are we cool? We are." Our audience—they're educated, they're rich, they're amazing. They tip well at live shows. Yeah, we love it. We love well, to see it. Well, yesterday I did a podcast called Weed and Grub with uh, a girl named Mary Jane. Perfect name. Listens <laughs> to the pod, loves SVU, and I, you know she brought great snacks we were talking
0: to our (laughs) lawyer she's like i have a lot of friends that listen i think she listens
2: (laughs) well so they made me gluten-free brownies because she listens to the pod for this like weed and snacks podcast then i went to visit our friend sam who is fully gluten free like seven months pregnant if not more did not bring her a brownie
0: (gasps) you should have just told her there was weed in them
2: no it hit me (laughs) a midway and i was like Oh, my God. And she's like, I don't know if I'll ever forgive you. She's like, fuck yourself. She's like, fuck you. Because she was like, because her husband bought Girl Scout cookies, but she can't have gluten for real. So I was just poisoning my body. And she was just pregnant knowing I had gluten free brownies just hours earlier. Bad friend.
0: I sent her these gluten-free cookies one time that she was obsessed with. And her husband texted me being like, what the fuck did you send us? These are so <laughs> good. So like if people are looking for a Los Angeles option of gluten-free brownies or cookies, this place is called Delicious. That's a bad name. People are obsessed. It's a bad name, but Deluscious. somebody told me about it and I get their emails all the time. And like, I, it has been only a hit with people I've sent it to.
2: Yeah, I'm, but these these brownies were made of beans. The base is black beans. Uh, right,
0: right. I've had black bean chocolate cake. I've had like a black bean like a chocolate cake vegan.
2: Type and of I'm thing. glad they didn't. They told me after I took bites, because if they told me before, I wouldn't have had a, even a bite. <laughs> I don't quote unquote like black beans, <laughs> but I surely do. Um, for all of you listening today, I did lock myself out of the door or my home, and Kara had to bring the key. So saved the day right before recording. Yeah. But what was wild was I kept texting and calling you and you weren't answering. But then I got a notification. You responded to an email chain we were on. And I was like this bitch. <laughs> Wait, I did. You did. I got the notification. You were emailing about a oh, meeting. We have to I wasn't have...
0: looking at my phone. I was on another podcast
2: and I responded to like a quick email. Oh, I was just, no, I, I know you now. Phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to me, I was like, how is she? I've called. I'm like, you're responding to scheduling emails. I'm like in a sweatshirt floppy titting outside all of these elderly men are looking at me and I know what they're saying my tits are huge if it's not a tight tank top they are flopping and I just didn't anticipate so much action on the outside world
0: yeah oh speaking of big tits I did just buy the sports bra that Hannah recommended the Enel one that fucking that's a non-surgical boob job like Whoa. that is like i am like flat when i wear this thing like yeah not flat yeah. but like i can run i can do anything like your boobs are in there it, it you've been running have you
2: been running i don't run
0: but okay. i <laughs> did i did this segues perfectly into how i and our friend lauren last night took a tap class we i took our not believe class i forgot
2: okay yeah
0: It was so funny. Like, first of all, I get there and I'm waiting outside because there's still like a ballet class going on inside for like adult women. And I'm like, this woman comes up and she goes, oh, are you here for the tap class? And I go, yeah, are you? And she goes, yeah. And I go, have you been before? And she goes, yeah, I've been a few times. And I go, I have no tap experience. And she goes, really? And I go, no. And she goes, none? And I go, you're making, I was like, you're making me feel really self-conscious. Like I go, yeah, I emailed and they said that it's like beginner, like thinking I'm going to get into this class and it's going to be fucking Gregory Hines and Savion Glover or something. And I'm like, i get it and my friend lauren shows up and i go this woman made me feel really weird because lauren doesn't have any experience either she is an irish dancer which don't worry the teacher pointed it out because she could tell immediately that lauren had a good
2: shuffle oh you were so jealous weren't you when she got that compliment
0: oh no i i loved it i was (laughs) like because she was like she's like i'm good at the shuffle but i don't move my arms that's the thing that's different about tap versus irish dances that her arms are pasted to her side but it was really fun. We got in there. It was us, that woman and a teenage girl whose mom was watching her the whole time. It was so fun. And I, we could both keep up like, it was like, even though we don't have experience, the woman went slow. Like it was, you know, it was really fun. But was that
2: woman talking shit even that good? No, that's what I mean. I forgot who said this to me, but um, it's something that's lived with me for, I think just a few years. But if you're wearing the best soccer cleats on the, on the field, you better be the best player. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley Dalton said this to me. That's what it is. If you have the best fucking most expensive cleats, you better be amazing at soccer. Yeah. This bitch talking shit, I doubt she was even good.
0: It was just weird because she just said it like two or three times. Like, wait, none? And I was like, Yeah, I mean, I have other dance experience, but I, I don't have tap experience.
2: Yeah. Have you been and- to a wedding with Kara Clank? She knows how to dance. <laughs> bitch. <laughs> Thank you. Very wait, nice. should I should I come with that other mom and watch you guys? that would be so funny (laughs) i would love to come watch town
0: class. the problem is is that well first of all you can just watch it's literally on a busy street in our neighborhood and there's a window to the street so like anyone can go by and just see what we're doing which is embarrassing but i kind of forgot about i want to go a a day when it's
2: raining and then i'll just stand out there with (laughs) an umbrella watching you guys (laughs) in my raincoat (laughs) how cinematic
0: um but the only problem is like the floor is obviously used for other dance classes like ballet and other kinds. of So it's not as tippity tappity as I want it to be. I want it to be like a wood floor. You know what I mean? Oh, it's you not wood. Hear, no. And you can't hear your ticky to tacky you know, and what, I ca- what is
2: it? Because I thought ballet was wood. I'm confused. Uh, yeah,
0: it's like it just has like a protective, like some kind of plasticky thick. I can't describe it, but you can kind of hear your tap. It's just not the same as like on wood you yeah. know and you could tell the teacher was disappointed about that too have you been practicing at the house well it was only last night so i haven't oh, okay. ha- i haven't been practicing my combo
2: <laughs> sorry but maybe if we all
0: get together lauren get a- get some wine and me and lauren and then we'll do our little
2: combination for you that we learned <laughs> my mom's text it's Elon's birthday yeah i fucking know bitch no that was nice of her <laughs> Happy birthday to my brother-in-law, the only good man oh, I know. Yeah, and it's Sydney Washington's birthday. Okay, oh, yeah. I mean, now you know when we taped it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know. Who I this don't is. think I
0: know anyone who loves their brother-in-law like you. Like your love your brother-in-law. You really love your brother-in-law.
2: I do, but I also met him when he was fifteen and I was That's five. True. Yeah, you were a. Like, yeah, you've known him your whole life. So he's forty-five now. So I've known him since he was a teenager. Yeah. So it's a little <laughs> bit. You know, I'm not twenty-five and meeting some man. That she yeah, met, right? At, you know, a bar in <laughs> like Wrigleyville. I've imagined
0: little Lisa at five, and you've seen the picture being like, uh, I need to ask you some questions before you date my sister. Um, <laughs> and you give him like the runaround. You're like, what time are you going to have at home?
2: <laughs> well, I don't know if you, if I've already said this on the pod. No, he would come over, he would give me donuts and then put on the quote unquote snowy channel, which was just static on the TV. <laughs> But I was like, oh, my God, the snowy channel. And I would sit eating donuts while God knows what was happening in our bedroom slash dining room.
0: Watching this, watching static. (laughs) I cannot. I don't think you've mentioned that because
2: that is not something. (laughs) i remember oh my god (laughs) no he was good but he was a good guy he 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 had a a red jeep he took me to see andre at the movie theater with just me and him and his brother like he would legit like hang out with me yeah he's like your like your brother like (laughs) yeah he would uh like he takes my dad to doctor's appointments he just kind of Is like this. He's always been kind of a good guy. I mean, maybe there's someone trapped in the basement, but I've spent a lot of time in there. I don't think so. And I love my brother-in-law, too. It's just
0: you speak so highly of Elon. It's very nice. It's very nice.
2: Well, because I also know how annoying my parents are. And none of us (laughs) are as nice to my parents as him. He really goes above and beyond for these annoying, annoying immigrants. But Oh, I have just thought of something I have to tell you after this. You got to FaceTime me. Sorry, guys. You can't you can't know all the shit. <laughs> yeah, I have something I want to ask you about, too oh perfect so wait I do have some notes I do have some things that I wanted to talk about as Annalise
0: has already told us to wrap it up and Lisa's like okay let me get into our agenda this is quick it's honestly quick
2: first I've been watching girl in the window alone on the I want to watch that it's funny I like it I do like it I think um I realize that genre now because sometimes I get auditions for things that are like funny but everything is serious and I don't understand it yeah and watching this like I finally understand the tone of acting fully in a thing that's like not re- I don't know is I it, thought it was it, great
0: is it kind of the tone of that like Kristen Wiig Will Ferrell Lifetime movie that was like a parody of a Lifetime movie but it was on I think it was on Lifetime
2: no are you thinking about the Amy Poehler romantic one or no no
0: no 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 this was like a oh. this was like a parody what wasn't it Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig?
2: yeah I don't know but I enjoyed it so if you guys are into like a crime moment that's silly but serious and Kristen Bell is just an incredible actress
0: oh and I just a deadly adoption
2: a deadly adoption I've never even heard of that
0: oh it was like a funny thing and it's Will Ferrell right am I crazy okay yeah it's Will Ferrell Kristen Wiig and like so the vibe of it was very serious over serious like a lifetime movie but then it was supposed to be comedy so I I I'm looking forward to that. I really want to see this. I didn't know it was a show. I thought it was a movie. So I went with Jared to watch it the other day, and we didn't realize it was a movie, a show. And he needed to watch a movie because he gives himself himself these movie challenges every month. (laughs) We watched West Side Story. We couldn't finish it. It was too boring. The
2: new or old? The new. Too boring. I I was like, this is not... It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I mean, it, didn't, it didn't do well. And that's what's tough about award show season where it's like, I get that like the normal public might not get like great performances or details of movie making, but for something that no one watched or cared about to then be winning awards. And it's, that's why we're not interested. Yeah. That's the disconnect. Like how yeah. is this winning anything? Yeah. It's
0: just like, I love West Side Story. I love the music. I love like the story. I love it. But I liked the old movie and this doesn't really add anything to it. I think that main actor is like a snooze Ansel Elgort. And I just was like, whatever I did. It was beautiful. I, if people are going to come for me, I, I will admit it's like gorgeous Spielberg, obviously beautiful. I just halfway through, I was on my phone and I will, I usually don't do that. But I was just like, I was like randomly looking up actors from the movie and then I was like, you know, getting into other stuff and it was not holding my
2: attention. Anyway, what else? Did you have anything else? Oh, Trixie and Katya did Queens Who Like to Watch with Squid Games because I didn't want to watch Squid Games. I don't love love dystopia, but watching them talk about Squid Games, I loved it. And then I read everything about it and all the plot points. And it seems really good. Oh, I watched all of Squid Game. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. With what the what I read. Okay, so <laughs> watching it through the eyes of these two drag queens, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we uh there was a news story about uh nurses selling fake vaccine cards and they oh, made yes. over $1.5 million. Yeah. So the thing that I want to focus on just really quickly is that. One of the people, she was a nurse practitioner. It's not like some poor nurse. Like this woman is a rich person. She is also married to an NYPD officer. So one of the criminals is married to an officer and he is getting in trouble because he was part of it. So he's being investigated. um, If he was funneling business, his wife's way, he only lost five vacation days in 2020 after he was accused of piloting an NYPD spy plane on a penis shaped flight path in 2017 when he was a (laughs) member of the department's aviation unit. Um, He was assigned to Brooklyn's 60th precinct after he was accused of misusing the federally funded four million dollar Cessna plane making improper entries in a flight log and not conducting flight surveys
0: okay are we like is this a bananas podcast crossover like we need to send <laughs> this story to bananas like this is that is quite literally banana like that is
2: crazy yeah and then there was a post secret this week of um a, one of the secrets of, was along the lines of my husband is in jail for murder and I will never leave him <gasps> wow so that obviously made me think of all of you also i knew some of you would not like the scott peterson take and then some of you just innocuously commented your points of view and i attacked you viciously and i apologize no (laughs) i was just responding (laughs) i just don't like being condescended at or that i didn't know that it was biased or that i didn't use other sources or that i'm not open to be proven wrong or you know like
0: like to just to clarify i mean we're a comedy podcast like we want to give you the information about the crimes but if you're expecting the same you know like thorough journalism of a 2020 there's 2020 you know like that's not what you're hopefully that's not what you're here for you know like we are we really try to be thorough and do the best we can but we're also putting
2: it into a third what we attempt to be a 30 minute slot and it's like you and know most people were into it and they get yeah. us and they like us but the people that were disappointed it was this thing of like I did do over 20 hours of research, <laughs> actually. Um, yeah. And if you have information on Lacey, please send it my way. Like, I would love it. I could not find it. Um. I, you know, I didn't go to the library. So, like, I would love this information. We always are trying our best. There's no reason to be condescending of, like, did you even know that? Yeah, I, we are very um into what we do. But <laughs> also, I you know, when people are like, it's not a great look, it's like, yeah, I think she was dumb that she didn't know about the biggest crime case in the war, in the in the nation for two weeks. I think that's wild to to ignore every news, every newspaper and every magazine at the store. Like it's kind of like Jared Leto being at a silent retreat and then coming out and be like, wait, what's covid? You know, it's like, yeah. OK, <laughs> this is a little silly. But yeah, no, you guys are allowed to say whatever you want. And I try not to get involved, but, you know, sometimes <laughs>
0: It she usually just texts me her opinions. Okay, um, let's get started. We have a hot episode for you today, a very hot interview, and I'm excited to
2: get and started. And hi to everyone I met in Kansas. Thank you for all your presence, your weed, your nice compliments, and your you being such great audience members. Sweet, sweet angels. Okay, let's get started.
0: Okay, we are doing justice season
2: three episode 19 an early guy one um, of my favorites and i feel like i took, i would i didn't know the name of it i couldn't find it for forever and then it came to me on a binge and i was like oh thank goodness oh my god yeah. i want to do this episode it's
0: another one of those ones where like it doesn't stick out for me but i know i've seen it and you love it so i'm just happy to do it and rewatch and it turns. and it's such a good one so i'm happy we chose it um we open on a scene honestly tailor-made for me uh two movers moving a couch and talking about mlms and ponzi (laughs) schemes i love this so much um one guy is clearly like telling the other guy like yeah you tell two friends then they tell two friends like it's a full describing a ponzi scheme and the other guy's like dude this is like not real and the other man's like please Herbalife is gonna make me rich and it's just really funny and the other guy's like it's a definite scam And the the guy's like, no, my cousin did it and made money. And the guy goes, who's your cousin? Kenneth Lay, which is a reference to Enron. And I just really want to get a beer with the smoover because he's very snarky and he's up to date on current events. Did you look it up or did you know this Enron guy? I was like, who's Kenneth Lay? And I think it sounded familiar. And I looked it up and it was I looked it up, obviously. I'm not familiar with ins and outs of Enron, but I did. um, I did track down the contact. Well, Um, Enron is very Connecticut. So maybe you knew. In deep and deep in my mind, in my soul, it was there. So, uh, the like this reference goes over the other mover's head, of course. He's like, No, my cousin's name is Johnny or whatever. Like, it's very funny. And then, as they're taking the ta- couch down the stairs, they notice the body of like a teen girl in a Catholic school, like plaid skirt outfit, just fully bleeding out at the bottom of the stairs. So, not a great find. Now we're at the hospital. Liv storms in with her super short pixie cut. Um, I think the one that she almost got fired or she thought she was going to get fired for. And um, all they know is that this girl is like a teen. There's no info on who she is. She like has no ID on her. And apparently all she said at the scene was he raped me. Then the docs are like going crazy the doctors and nurses like everyone's trying to save her life you know like she's got a neck brace on. like i mean it's like she's been very badly injured and they're trying to save her life and they're talking about all the laceration she has and it's like very go 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 but benson is being like very benson and is like you gotta preserve the clothes this is a rape victim like and then she follows them into the or they're like we gotta we gotta operate she follows them into the or with like a bunch of swabs and is like just get her vagina just get her mouth can you get that stain on her thigh it's very i mean it's obviously serious you do want to preserve evidence but it's just kind of like i think priority number one is that she lives and live is just like going after them with like swabs and then they're like, can we just get one more of under her fingernails? And the nurse is like, bitch, we've done giving you enough. Get away from me. Um, and then like back at the nurse's like desk, Liv is scrambling to get all the clothes and swabs sent to the lab with a uniform cop. And Stabler shows up and is like, sorry, babe, she didn't make it. She died on the table. And Olivia immediately is like, oh, no, like I got in the way. I made her die. And Stabler's like, nah, nah, she had like a clot, massive internal bleeding. There was nothing you could do. You're not on the hook for this. So then Liv's like, okay, and goes back into like cop mode. And Stabler found a bottle of Percocets on the girl and the bottle says Emily Porter. So they think this girl's Emily Porter and they're off to notify her parents. A teen answers the door and she's like, are you here for the condolences? My grandma died last night. And immediately you're kind of like, oh, ouch, this family's about to get a double dose of tragedy. And then the mom comes to the door and they're like, are you the mother of Emily Porter? And she's like, no, I'm Emily Porter.
2: Dun-dun, credits. So immediately what's love happening? that love when they tell the wrong person. I love yeah. a oh my god, she's a lot. I just yeah, I love a yeah. mixed and identity it's like, up Just top. go
0: back to missing your grandma. You can just go back to the Shiva or whatever.
2: No, no, because this bitch is obviously doing something. Yeah, the teen is up to no good. How did everyone get these pills?
0: The teen is up to no good. So basically wrapping up this little storyline with the Porter family, the daughter who answered the door stole her mom's pills and sold them to some dude in the skateboard park who she said will buy anything from anyone's like medicine cabinet. So nobody in the house like actually knows who this dead girl is, but that's how we get to the pills. So now at the park, Finn zeroes in on the dealer named Doc and he is played by exciting for only me on this podcast, a guy named Jamie Hector, who is the second on the call sheet uh, in Bosch. He is Bosch's (laughs) partner. He is a very great actor. I really love him. And in Bosch, he has a big scar on his face. And he didn't in this show. And I was I always assumed it was like a real scar, but maybe they like put the scar on his face every day. Anyway, Ice tries to score from him and they have this funny combo and then he flashes his badge like, what about this? And then the guy tries to run away. Ice grabs him. It's all very comical.
2: Well, and he's probably so young in this. Was that wild for you that you were like, yes. wait, I know you. Cause this was way before Bosch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. He looks really young and I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm glad you were like working it for so long. And then Bosch worked out for you, you know, like you've been at this since 2002. Um, he doesn't know who the girl is. He just said she came by at 10 AM to buy happy pills. And I starts going, Finn starts going through his pockets and he's like a full Dwayne Reed. Like he just has all these like pills and poppers and all things in his, in his pockets. And, um, He says he doesn't really remember much about her. She was cute. And he remembers her going to the motel across the street, like this seedy place, and that she was wearing a black, shiny, floppy hat. Love this detail.
2: No, this show, it's not shocking (laughs) that I like it. It's a bingo of all of my favorite things yeah look up who bought this you know I love that <laughs> that's not my pills I don't know I just like I love every moment in this this show. episode
0: is so like it takes them though it takes them 10 minutes just to get to the identity of the victim this yeah. episode so and another
2: like, great scene I mean yeah. just filled with great scenes yeah it's just a lot of
0: um a lot of detective work and, and I love, love when the detectives
2: it. like think it's their fault when they're like oh it's my fault and then they have to be like, it's not your fault. And it's like, it could have been your fault. Like, I love that. Yeah, Liv, you were really in the way. I got to say. It's also say. like, it's not about <laughs> you. Like, uh, yeah, this is a definite drinking bingo episode if I've ever seen one. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, yes for you specifically there's a
0: hotline in this episode
2: oh i don't even know what you're you're talking oh, about that's you'll exciting will when we get to
0: <laughs> it um <laughs> the motel is like super disgusting the guy at the front desk is like yeah maybe i saw this girl with some dude he signed the book and like they look it up and he signed the book as ben dover which is like simpson's level funny and then paid cash So they head upstairs and Stabler's like, please tell me the room hasn't been cleaned. And he's like, not since 1972, which is so disgusting. Um, And in the room, they find the sparkly hat and it says in the hat made exclusively for destination. So a hint um now they are i am obsessed for what with when they go to like fancy hoity-toity places and like Liv knows how to hang and stabler definitely doesn't (laughs) at all like it's my favorite thing like he's just like has no idea how like expensive shit works and so they're at this expensive boutique that seemingly sells like hats and purses and that's it. And then they get to the display and the sales girl is like, Oh, these, they're 795. And Stabler's like, oh, the only affordable thing in here. And it's like, dude, a baseball hat is more than 795. Like, what are you talking about? So Liv has to tell him it's 795. And Liv winks at the girl. It's really funny. If you missed it, check it out. She does a little wink to the sales girl, like, sorry for my dumbass boy, like guy friend here. And so, uh, yeah, I just like when Liv gets to be sophisticated and stunt on Stabler cause he only knows about like Catholic schools and the Rockaways. So, um, she looks up the hat and she, the sales girl, and she's like, actually, we haven't sold any of these yet. So they're like, okay, maybe this is a shoplifting situation in the back room. There's like a sassy male manager who thanks them for catching a shoplifter. And they have like a full Polaroid book of shoplifters, which I was like, that must be humiliating. Like you get caught and then they're like we're taking your picture so we can recognize you next time you come in.
2: Well, it's very Empire Records, which yes. is yes. an important movie to me, but very
0: important. Everyday should be Rex Manning day. Um, I used to shoplift a lot.
2: How about you? Um, I would say l- I I definitely shoplifted, but it wasn't my number 1 hobby. <laughs>
0: i'm not saying it wasn't for me i wasn't varsity shoplifting well no
2: (laughs) i had some friends in high school that like they would go to nordstrom in the bp section try on a tons of stuff layer it on and walk out like they were stealing yeah and then one time i was with them and she took underwear from limited Two, and the sales girl like ran out and was like give it back which is against all rules you're not supposed to like i think stores aren't allowed to tell you that you're shoplifting because if wow. you're wrong it's fucked up like most stores are not allowed to approach someone even if you see someone shoplifting. Sure. so i can't believe she ran out but she must have been having a bad day but you know i would take a lip smacker here and there the guy from walgreens was suspicious but i got away with it some candy <laughs> at aj's mart but nothing too wild well, i used
0: to steal clothes from the gap but like stuff that wasn't clicked on with the clicker um but it was i would only steal from large corporations where I, I would never steal from like a small shop where someone was like it was their livelihood you know and I would just bring in a shopping bag and I worked in retail so I would like fold clothes and stuff and then I would just like fold it and like drop it into my shopping bag and no one like noticed I was wow. I was pretty slick at it but I never knock on wood I never got caught and I don't recommend it it's bad I just was like I work all the time to- like I worked and was like I still can't afford new clothes <laughs> like I'm I'm taking some <laughs> so yeah that's bad, there's must but.
2: be some sort of something science psychology of why teen girls love to steal i'm sure boys do it too but it's not just necessity we both grew up in like well-off suburbs or whatever so yeah I, i am curious what is it just the thrill You just want the lip smack. Like, I wonder what it is because it is universal. It was like I wanted the clothes and like my mom, my parents like
0: wouldn't. I mean, I was like I did grow up in like an affluent town, but I was one of six kids. My mom wasn't like, let's go on a shopping spree every day, you know, and like all the girls in my town were so rich and had cool clothes. And I was like, I want a a new sweater from the Gap and my mom won't buy it for me. So I got to figure out my own (laughs) way. And I don't recommend it. Anyway, they find a picture of this girl in the book of shoplifters at which where my picture should exist. But and I actually never would steal from a store where stuff was so expensive. I was like pretty much gap. But um, they find a picture of this girl, but she has no name
2: on her picture. This is a and huge ad for Gap. Gap should actually throw I know. us some coins. Gap.
0: <laughs> We've yeah, we said it like 10 times. Yeah. And I'm also like, Gap, easy to steal from. OK so he's like of course very svu style this guy goes "Mm -hmm, i remember this like like i remember exactly what happened i've got a book of shoplifters but this one i remember specifically um he's like i would have pressed charges but like in his file there's nothing like they never sent the form that the cops are supposed to send when they take in a shoplifter so like they're like officer slater picked her up and we never heard anything back so now, Finn goes and pays a visit to Officer Slater, who is just straight up snoozing in his cop car on what looks like the West Side Highway, but could also be the FDR.
2: I mean, and it's supposed to show like, oh, look at this guy sleeping on the job. But it's like, I'd rather police be sleeping than shooting. You know what I mean? <laughs> Take yeah. a nap. It's yeah, or like
0: giving people <laughs> tickets. Yeah. yeah. Um. So he shows him the Polaroid and he goes, this girl pulled a Winona at destination two weeks ago. And it's like. LOL, but also like, will Winona Ryder ever live that down? I mean, people still like think of her just as a shoplifter, and it's really not that huge of a crime, you know?
2: No, didn't she just kind of like, she just had an off day or two? Um, yeah. I don't know, but it happens. It happens. But yeah, I, and this I don't is think also 2002, her. so it's probably more
0: fresh. I forgot what year she got busted, but it is more fresh. So, but I like that he, Finn's pulling out the pop culture refs. Um, and he said, He said she wouldn't give up her name. And so they gave her a desk appearance ticket. I don't really know what this the desk appearance thing means, but I I think you kind of get the idea from context. But um, so Benson and Sabler are at the desk appearance ticket office asking this lady who has very like working girl vibes to me, like her hair, not working girl, like a sex worker, like the movie working girl. Like she just has big hair and seems over it, you know?
2: Have you seen working girl curls, red hair, curls? No, it's actually fucked up. I haven't seen working girl or nine to five. And I think I should do like, yeah, like Those an are office both, girl like, movies. movies. Yeah, amazing. I want to. But, you know, when there's pressure, like you haven't seen something in a while and you want to see nine to five. But it has to be the right moment because it's on Delta flights right now. Yeah, and it would be easy to watch it. But that's not the vibe I want for a movie like that. Yeah. And so that's always hard to, like, find the right moment where you're like, I'm going to really watch nine to five today. So, yeah, it's like a movie with too much pressure on it for me.
0: OK, well, I'll
2: watch it eventually. Happy to watch Working Girl with you, too, because I that's actually closer
0: to my heart than nine to five. But they're both classics. Um, So Benson and Stabler are like, can you pull the ticket for Patricia Stevens with a PH? And the lady looks for like a second. Well, actually, when they first say her name, she looks kind of shocked at them. And then she goes over to the filing cabinet is like, nope, I don't see it. And then she's like really blowing them off super hard. And they're like, can you check a different spelling? And she's like, no, actually, I can't. I got to go like it's very like she's not willing to help. And uh, Liv is like, hey, um, honey, this girl's dead and we'd love to notify her family. So if you could just like open another filing cabinet and get us the info, that would be sweet. And the woman is like, Patricia's dead.
2: Okay, suddenly, you know her. Like, who is she? And well, and I love the Benson response. She's just like, that's what we spent this whole miserable day trying to find out. And I just (laughs) like love the line reading. Yeah, because the lady goes, you don't know who she is, do you? And Benson's like,
0: please do anything. Just (laughs) tell me. And it turns out that she is the daughter of a judge named Judge Thornburg, Judge Walter Thornburg. So back at the precinct, Stabler goes, why does it have to be the stepdaughter of a hanging judge? Which I looked up and it obviously refers to judges who used to give hanging sentences, but it can also refer to a judge who gives harsh sentences. So it's like a, a harsh judge. Um, I would say Oliver Taft, uh, Judge Taft, probably a uh, hanging judge. Um, They go and tell Kragen and he's like, I know, Walt, like we have a history. Like we went to the same college. I see him at events all the time, but I didn't even know he had a daughter. And they're like, well, it was his stepdaughter. Cabot shows up like out of breath. And she's like, so it's true. And then she's like, this is huge. The DA is going to want to know where we are on this every step of the way. And then Cragen's like, I'm going to go tell the family. So now we're at this super nice apartment brownstone situation. And Cragen shows up and sees Judge Thornburg's wife, Brooke, with her two little boys. And she looks so happy to see um, Captain Cragen. She's like, Don, how are you? What's going on? And this is um, actress Valerie Mahaffey, I think is how you say her name. And she has been in a ton of shit. I don't know if you've seen her and stuff, Lisa, if you recognize her from anything, but she does have 87 credits on. Oh, yeah. And she was just in a show I watch called Big Sky. If you watch Dead to Me, she plays Christina Applegate's mother-in-law who like harasses her all the time. And she she was
2: in uh, Seinfeld. No, I think she's the pretentious date of George. Oh, yeah. Patrice. Patrice. Yeah. Yeah. And she's the pretentious one. And she has like chopsticks in her hair. And uh, she was supposed to help uh, like Jerry with taxes. But then George is like, you fucking suck. And then. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She's great. She's like, I mean, she's a redhead. So she kind of sticks out to you. And like she was in Desperate Housewives. Like, um, I think she plays Kyle McLaughlin's first wife or something. What's
2: amazing is she looks equal parts good and bad. like she could be a dark twisted bitch and not likable but she also just looks like a likable a sweet suburb woman yes so that's completely cool
0: yes that's very cool that she's very versatile like that and in fact she plays a very fucked up character
2: in big sky so uh a show that i randomly watch um and for me just uh seinfeld we talk about so much of the new york show but seinfeld is like everyone got their start i mean everyone mm -hmm. incredible think like you have I mean, to be Marishka. the best <laughs> yeah Mariska's been on it baby <laughs> yeah
0: so <laughs> she's kind of like what's going on don to captain Kragen, and then we cut to the next scene she's crying so like the judge is there and he's like why don't you go lay down but then he starts to give them some info and the wife is uh like Kragen starts to give them more info and the wife is just getting more and more upset so she she leaves they're like does brooke have to be there here for this and she, he's like no of course not so she goes to i don't know take a sedative and then the judge is like we can drop the we can drop the act now this girl has been a problem child since puberty and it's like very weird like how unaffected he is like it's like yeah okay your daughter was trouble but did you want her dead like it's just very strange how he's just like um nothing shocks me anymore it's like her death doesn't shock you she's dead okay So like they he's like, we tried everything. We sent her to therapy, boarding school. She's been back from boarding school
2: for a year and she goes to St. Monica's. Monica's such a modern day. That's a saint. There's a St. Monica. That seems like such an 80s name.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Um, Brooke had gotten a phone call that morning that Patricia had ditched school right after roll call. And they're like, truancy is how she's been torturing us for years. Before that, it was a piercing. Before that, it was a tattoo. Okay, whatever. Like, these people seem a little bit square and, like, they can't handle, like, a regular teenager. It doesn't really sound like she's doing anything that crazy yet um so now we're at the lab with the very hot hot csu tech bert trevor played by daniel sunjata who is explaining that her tattoos aren't gang related and that they found glass in her scalp that matched the broken beer bottle and then he explains what happened like he's always very
2: like okay here's how it went down like he's very kind of like passionate about how he talks about the No, the other csu techs should actually be quite jealous because he has the most standout evidence for some reason maybe it's because of his sexy eyes but yeah. <laughs> i'm just paying attention more but he's usually like putting a dead person's finger on a thumb like he's always got the wild twist of how to get the evidence so. and he seems
0: like he might be somebody who uses more innovative tactics like for example what happens next first he explains that like through blood splatter it looks like what happened was she was hit on the head with the beer bottle at the top of the stairs then staggered backwards cartwheel down the steps like hitting her head at the bottom where she was unconscious for 15 minutes because you can tell there's like a pool of blood. And Stabler's like, could you get a print off the broken bottle? And Bert Trevor's like, you bet I can if I fucking spend a million hours putting together a puzzle piece. So he takes us to his little lab of tricks and he shows us how he found a matching bottle to this bottle, filled it with plaster of Paris, and then cracked it. And then he has this cast to use where he can rebuild the bottle that smacked Patricia around the mold. And Liv is like, wow, there's like a thousand pieces here. Are you psycho? And he's like, call you later when I figure it out. But I
2: don't get why you can't just dust all the loose pieces. Like, you know what I mean? To get a print, it's quicker to rebuild a bottle and dust for prints. Like I, it is. Also, I know. I don't trust I, it, it. it.
0: It's wild. But maybe because like you need a full print, like a partial, maybe won't couldn't be the perfect, like the right ID. I don't know. I have no idea. But. Now they're at the Catholic school St. Monica's. Uh
2: St. <laughs> Monica's, It's like St. Skylar. Like I just was <laughs> like what? I didn't know there were Monicas in BC. But I guess it's Mother Teresa's saint. I guess everyone are saints just being born all the time? I guess. Are I don't saints really know. saints old school. You know I don't know shit about saints. I mean, I went to Hebrew
0: <laughs> school. <laughs> I have no idea. But At the Catholic school, they are on a walk and talk with a nun who's like, Patricia was really, really smart, but she was hostile towards authority figures, not necessarily other kids, but authority figures. She would talk back, arrive late. And then we also noticed she was cutting and lives like, um, hi, that's a cry for help. It's not like an annoying thing she's doing. So um, she kind of gives the nun a little bit of a what's up, bitch. Keep your eyes open. And uh, they say that she really only had one friend so they go talk to this friend she's studying she's like i can't believe she's dead she said i never should have left trish and she's like i never skipped school but i went with trish to destination and i didn't know she was gonna steal and when i found out that she was i got out of there so she feels bad but she was trying like not to get in trouble i guess and she says like explains that they've been friends since trish came to the school they both love, love the classics Euripides, tr- all these tragedies, et cetera. They're both very drawn to them, she says. And um, sh- they go, What about boyfriends? And she goes, Trish never had a boyfriend, not really. And they're like, What does that mean? And she explains there were guys she wrote to, and she didn't think her parents would understand. So all the letters came to my house. And she's like, You know, she was doing God's work, reaching out to lost souls. And they're like, Who is she writing to? And she does the big reveal, Prisoners. She was writing to Convicts in jail, so they found a bunch of the letters in Trisha's school locker. She's been pen-palling with five different convicts who all went away. Four of them went away for murder, one for manslaughter. Kragen brings the list to Cabot, and Cabot is like, "Look, three of your guys are in Attica, one is at Sing Sing, and one." named Thomas Bird Gordon got out a week ago and he has sex abuse priors and a, like chirp, he was chirp. on a manslaughter. That's a fun yeah. middle name they just added in there. <laughs> it feels like a nickname or something. Yeah, I don't know. Cause I've, like later people are calling him Bird and Birdie and shit. Um, and then... They, when Cabot's going through her very, very old looking computer, she's like, look at this and shows Cragen Thornburg is the judge on all five of these cases. Like, why is this girl seeking out men that have uh, her father, her stepfather has convicted? So then they go to talk to the Thornburgs again. They show up at their brownstone and he's been taken to the hospital because someone took a shot at him. So he's been shot, but he's alive and he's at the hospital. So now Liv is at the hospital talking to Brooke, the wife, and she explains like uh, it's like she's doing a lot of talking and it's not really any information. She's basically like, I heard him get shot outside. I went outside and there he was shot Um, and he had been in court to clear his calendar. So they had could make funeral arrangements for Trish. And um, she says He hasn't received any threats. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't like him because he's a judge. But like he hasn't we haven't received any specific like, you know, menacing threats. And so they ask her, did you know about Trisha's pen pal situation? And she says she didn't. And she doesn't know the name Thomas Gordon. So now they. this is I mean, honestly, so many locations, so many people. They're doing a lot of detective work. They go talk to Thomas Gordon's parole officer and this guy's funny he's very new yorky and he's like this guy's got a faulty transmitter like he doesn't understand like girls say no yeah no and he hears yes like he's basically like okay yeah you're describing like most rapists i feel like um and he goes but he'd never kill one of them because i don't think he thinks of this guy as like a murderer he's like he went away for manslaughter for a bar fight where he severed a guy's carotid artery with a beer bottle so things are kind of lining up here like This guy doesn't seem like a premeditated murderer, but he does love to use a beer bottle when he's mad. Gordon has been uh, paroled to his sister's place and uh, his sister and her husband runs a garage and so that's where he's been working and like living so they go over there the sister's like what do you want with my brother like she's like leave him alone he didn't do nothing and then the husband is like come on this guy's a fucking worm he showed up and asked for the morning off so he could get a piece of ass he wasn't home last night and the guy's just like fully throwing his brother-in-law under the bus he does not care and yeah, so I'm sure
2: he's pissed that he has to like live with his brother-in-law now
0: yeah yeah he's like now I have this dirt bag around my house I'm like wasting time at my um auto body place and he's like not only did he never come back to work but he has my van so now everybody's looking for a 1997 ford e-150 that this guy's very proud of himself because he like put flames on it and like men are so funny um so at the precinct they're all trying to figure out like where this guy could be they check all his old uh, they're like go check out all of his old haunts or whatever and the first place they go to is called eager beavers and it's a strip club and i just think the name is kind of funny um so it's like a strip club on the bowery or something which i don't i don't know about 2002 but there are no strip clubs on the bowery right now the bar manager tells Liv, oh oh tommy bird yeah he gets drunk and like comes in here the other night he tried to hump one of the strippers on the stage her name is sheila sheila comes over and goes yeah he wanted to like hook up he asked me to go meet him at a bar up the street falcons like i didn't go so then they go check out Falcons. The van is right outside the bar. And for the sake of a 43 minute television show, it is unlocked. And there is a gun sitting right on the front seat because they got to get some shit moving. And the gun that they find is the exact type of gun used to shoot the judge. So inside the bar, people are still smoking because it's 2002. Everyone's just sitting at the bar puffing away. They find Tommy sitting there wasted. And if you recognize this guy, it's because he is a straight up SVU regular. Like not only was he the prison guard dad in Raw, the guy who paid someone to shoot his adoptive son for the insurance money. He was also parts on season one and season two. And then this is season three. Then he played a recurring character in four episodes of season 14, which I believe he played an Atlanta cop that was like trying to hook up with Rollins. Yeah, that's how we keep seeing him. So he's literally been on like seven or eight episodes of SVU, maybe nine. Legend. Yeah. The actor's name is Mike Watford, M-Y-K. Very creative spelling. Mr. I Watford.
2: see your notes. I'm smiling. I see what's next. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
0: Duh. Hey, yeah so they they find this guy wasted and as they're arresting him we get a classic line that lisa literally has on a sweatshirt where ice t says you have the right to remain silent And if you puke in my car i'm gonna kill your ass it's kind of it's iconic so <laughs> it is from this episode and um many of you have seen lisa on instagram stories wearing um truly a piece of art so in interrogation with the bird, uh, they tell him like, we found your DNA and Patricia like you're like you're going away for this. This is kind of open and shut. And he looks shocked when they tell him that she's dead. He's like, uh, no, no, no. He's like, look, he admits I took a shot at the old man, but I didn't hurt the girl. I didn't even know they were related till yesterday. She's the one that wrote to me first. I'm just sitting in my cell and her letters show up. I have the letters to prove it and she wrote me promising me sex she said she'd do whatever blah 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 and then when they meet up she suddenly has a headache and doesn't want to do it but he was quote unquote past the point of no return so he's i guess got a boner and so he says he seduced her and she finally like had sex with him and then she asked him to kill her stepdad the judge so They're giving Daddy Cragen the rundown, and he's like really not buying the bird story. He's He's like, he's too close to the case. He's He's too too close to the case. He's way too close. And he's like, uh we're listening to this drunk ex- drunk ex-con Y, and it's like well the letters like don't specify anything about the judge or murder but they do mention a favor over and over but she says she has to tell him in person about the favor and yeah daddy's smart really... she knows not
2: to leave paper evidence uh, yeah and she
0: told him she actually also told him to destroy every letter which he never did because i mean he's a dirtbag but at least she thought of it to say please destroy this so yeah, daddy Craig's really doesn't want to hear any of this shit and lives like, why would he make this up? Like he gets charged the same way, whether the girl put him up to uh, shooting at the judge or whether he just shot at the judge on his own accord. So like, why would he make all this shit up? And why would this girl hate her stepdad so much? Like, let's get to the bottom of this. But Craig is kind of like, I'm closing my door. Like, I don't care. And of course, Benson and Stabler are like, We love to keep digging. So now they go to Trisha's funeral. It's really sad. There's like nobody there. They go up to this woman that they think is Brooke with the two little boys because she's turned around. But when she flips forward, it is uh, Aaron, Brooke's sister, and she is ready to spill that funeral tea, honey. So Stabler goes on to daddy duty immediately and starts like playing with the boys so that Liv can talk to Aaron. And she's basically like, here's the story. Brooke's first husband abandoned them when Trish was five. So Brooke got a job as a court reporter. That's where she met the meal ticket. And she wasn't going to let Trish fuck it up. And as soon as they shipped Trisha away, they got married. They adopted Brian and they had Josh immediately after that instant new family and lives like well, with Trisha tucked away at boarding school and the sister's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Trisha never went to boarding school. And she's like, I don't understand where, where did she go? And Aaron explains that he, the judge swore out a PINS petition on Trisha, which is a person in need of supervision when she was barely 12 years old and had her sent to Kitty Prison, essentially,
2: which is so fucked. Yeah, because usually if you have family in the courts or a connection to help get you out of stuff, yeah they don't send you to kitty prison so definitely like what the fuck yeah and they go to they show
0: you this place you go there and it's like The farthest thing from a boarding school you could get it's like looks very you know sparse and like and finn is like what's up like why would a rich girl be here this is for inner city throwaways and it's like okay that's a little harsh ice i think they can hear you um (laughs) and then the lady who he's walking around with is like it is a little unusual and he's like okay well what was trish like and she's like in three years she never once opened up in therapy but we suspected sexual abuse. And he's like, why? And she starts listing this whole long list of symptoms like hypervigilance, exaggerated startle response, insomnia, never talking about the baby, nausea, poor appetite. And Ice is like, hold up, hold up, hold up, baby. What are we talking about here? Like no one has mentioned a baby yet. So they go talk to Trisha's mom, Brooke, as she's loading her two little boys in the car. And they're like, hey, what's up? Why didn't you give us a heads up about your daughter's pregnancy when she was 12 years fucking old and pregnant? And they're like, we know Brian is Trisha's son. And Brooke like tries to run away. Like she doesn't want to talk to them anymore. And they're like, well, can you at least tell us who the father is? And she's like, Trisha told me she didn't even know who the father was. So that's how slutty my 12 year old daughter was that. She doesn't even know the baby daddy. She was having that much sex at 11 so now back at the precinct, Liv discovers that Trisha's baby has the same birthday as baby Brian. And Kragen is like, well, Kragan's still making excuses for this guy. This is truly how pe- how men get away with things is they have friends like Kragen, Love Kragen, But in this episode, he's literally just helping and enabling and offering privilege to his friend over and over again. And this is like how bad men keep doing bad things. And he's like, well, adopting your unwed daughter's baby isn't a crime. Like, and it's like, well, it is if you're the one who knocked her up. Dun done, done like i had not even really come to that conclusion yet so craigan's like he's one of the most respected jurists in the state and cabot's like he is the super he is super tough on child molesters like this is doesn't really make sense and it's like yeah it kind of does though um and they're like the only way to prove it is testing dna we have trisha's dna we have judge thornburg's dna we just need little brian's dna so craigan leaves and cabot's like you better be right about this And then the next scene, amazing, it's Cabot and Judge Elizabeth Donnelly, the goat, Judith Light. And I love any time that they have a little scene together. And she's like, you got to be kidding me here. You have absolutely no proof that this dude was having sex with his stepdaughter and you want to risk your career and mine over this. And Alex Cabot kind of goes off and she's like, a judge has used the power of the court to further his own agenda. If the light we shine on him isn't brighter than the light we shine on the public, then this bureau has no integrity. I want that on a sweatshirt this resonates with Jude's and she's like look god help you if you're wrong but she's obviously going to sign the the document to get the DNA test on the little boy so then in the next scene daddy Cragen is visiting Judge Thornburg in the hospital he's like lying in a bed looking sad and pathetic and they tell him like you know we ran a paternity test on Brian and he's yours Walter you raped that little girl And the judge is like, don't ask me for an explanation. I've searched my soul and I can't find one. And it's like, okay, gross. Uh, Cragen's like, so you killed her? And the judge is like, no, 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 wait. Like I copped to the other part, but I am not, I did not kill her. I was in chambers that day. She was murdered. I have an alibi and-
2: Yeah, I just raped my stepdaughter. I'm not a murderer. Yeah, Yeah, Cragen, die relax. (laughs) And it's like- This is this
0: brings up a little bit of like the Woody Allen of it all. But like I kind of there's is there any possibility that this guy only molested his stepdaughter one time like a couple times or whatever? Like he's got to have other victims like if this is what you're into, this is what you're into. Like this judge, obviously, I don't know. I just feel like if you looked into it, she's not the only victim.
2: And it just seems really hard to date when you're a woman with children because anyone could just be using you to molest your kids. Oh, yeah. That's I just listened to a, this is um, actually happening about that where this woman thought her new husband was like cheating on her and she kept trying to figure stuff out and she couldn't find anything. And she like she was like, I know there's something there and then found videos that he set up a hidden camera to tape her daughter showering. <gasps> oh, and, like, God. he actually ended up going to jail. But it, it, it is this thing of like. It's already Ugh. hard enough, and now, yeah. yeah, it's weird, i obviously there's good stepdads, but I right now, I'm not trusting any of them right, right, uh, so, so creepy. the Rosie Perez episode, you know, it's just like yeah. these stepdads are predators, totally. Don't come for me, I hope you have great stepdads. I'm just saying, <laughs> yes, of course, it's of like. Course. I never really thought about that as like a constant opt like thing that could happen until this podcast. I mean,
0: it is kind of like a TV trope. The sketchy stepdad is kind of like, I mean, very in SVU, but also other places. But
2: and it's just sad when these people pick a strange, loose man they've known for a few years over their children like that is a bummer. Right, right.
0: I mean, like an episode we did in when we did name a couple episodes back, like that woman was molested by her dad's boyfriend and then he would, turned out to be a, a killer. So anyway, uh, now we're at the lab with Bert Trevor and the bottle puzzle and he has finished it and he's it's like kind of a, com- a comedic moment because he's like, and just the last piece and they're like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And he's like, now I just have to wait for it to completely dry. And they're like, dust it now, bitch. So he dusts it, and right away. A couple of big ass prints are right there. So they kind of seem like you might have been able to see them if you had just dusted the pieces like Lisa suggested. (laughs) But, you know, I think for the showmanship, it's kind of crazy that this guy assembled a fully broken bottle and it wasn't like a little beer bottle. It's like a 40. This has
2: lived in my memories for decades now. Like this has has been uh, one of the pivotal moments of this show for me is this bottle. Yeah. And so
0: now the going from one iconic scene to another, I really this this last scene is great. Like it's like one of the reasons I love SVU. This is just such a good final scene. So like at the judge's house, they confront Brooke and they're like, so you know what your husband did? And immediately she's like, Trisha seduced him and it's like these fucking moms who think that their 11-year-old children are seducing grown men. Like, I needed to hear that she was molested young and that this is just a cycle or something because that's just so fucked up or like you need a meal ticket that bad. You need to live in a brownstone that badly. Like it's just so ugh, gross. Anyway, Brooks like she was very disturbed. Trisha wouldn't leave him alone, you know, like, "Oh yeah, she was just like 11 years old and so horny for your old ass judge husband she just needed to get him in bed and that's what happened like you're delusional and then they're like well we found a fingerprint on the bottle that um essentially killed your daughter and dun dun, it was yours and she at first denies it but then like they present the whole scenario to her they're like so when the school called you it was the last straw you went looking for her you and she said i thought it had to be drugs and i went into her room and i found a slip of paper with like the hotel meeting place for where she was going to meet that guy doesn't that seems kind of sloppy of, of patricia to be honest like she's writing like burn after reading and all this other shit and now she's like just leaving slips of paper of seedy hotels where she's meeting men okay um anyway brooke just knew that patricia was going there to have sex and i went there to save her but it was too late i saw i saw her as she was leaving the hotel i confronted her And she just walked away. And she said, I knew she'd been with the man who had gotten her pregnant. And then they're like, you followed her. And she finally told you. And she just turned on me is what Brooke says. She said, you want to know who the father is? It's your husband. And then Brooke slapped her. Patricia pushed her mother. And then she says, I must have picked up the bottle. I don't really like it's like she's acting like she was in a fog. She's like, I hit her with it. And then she goes, and she just gave me this look like I was the one who had betrayed her. And it's like, you sick, sick fucking woman. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. It's kind of it's like a very fucked up episode, but a good one.
2: Well, because then I guess what happens to the kids now or is it just baby Brian or was there another one? Because, well, the other one is their biological baby. But like daddy's going to jail for being a molester and mom's going to jail for murder. So I guess maybe they go to Aaron. Maybe
0: they'll go to Aunt Aaron. She seemed nice. Yeah, hopefully. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Great um, app. I'm very interested and intrigued knowing nothing of the crime this is uh, derived from. So great. Take me on a ride, Lisa. (laughs)
2: So this cr- it was really exciting. You know, I really wanted to do this episode so badly. And we like didn't know if it was based on something. And then we found that it is based on something. And wildly, um, I was just on my friend Steve Fury's podcast called World on Drugs. And I was a guest on his podcast when we talked about this crime. So if you want to check out more of the conspiracy theories and like the background of all of this, you can check out World on Drugs. Um, It was a three part episode. He had we think we have long ones, but he had to cut (laughs) it into three episodes and whatever. So um, I it would be weird if I didn't give a shout out that I just kind of learned a lot about this case from Stephen now. I don't know if he has to do credible sources, but we do. So a lot of the (laughs) a lot of the like wild conspiracy of it all is the New York Times is not writing about that. So (laughs) I'll touch on it, but we're going to stick to the case. Um, So about this case, the assistant United States um, like district attorney or whatever um, at the time, he was the chief prosecutor in this case. And in his closing arguments, Ray John said, this is a story of fear, a story of greed and a story of murder so that's exciting (laughs) and a lot of people who were involved with this they kept saying like this is a giant attack on our justice system but no one believes in our justice system so (laughs) i don't uh, whatever it was just a bunch of government dorks being like this this we need to put a stop to this and it's like "Mm, okay we don't trust you so basically tuesday may 29th 1979 u.s. District Judge John H. Wood Jr. is assassinated near his home in San Antonio, Texas. And that's why they kept saying, like, justice is, um like— at risk because it's not the prosecutor or the judge's fault that you're in trouble. It's you. And like, we can't just go on and start killing prosecutors and judges. But this was the first time um, that a U.S. federal judge was assassinated and he was 63 at the time of death. So obviously um, this case is just focused on the shooting of the judge in the episode. It was a single shot with a rifle while he was heading out to work and he was struck in the back as he stood at the door of his car. His last words to his wife before he got shot was, it's almost 830. I've got to get to court. So he loved his job and um, then was dead. He was pronounced dead on arrival at a nearby hospital. And this is very SVU episode related. The judge was known as Maximum John or Hanging High John. Oh, yeah. And he handed out tough punishment to drug traffickers hated drugs mm-hmm. um he is believed to have one of the heaviest narcotics related caseloads in the nation um, but a lot of the law clerks uh, that worked for him said the nicknames were unfair because he they saw him agonize all the time about taking away a man's freedom and that it was not like easy or enjoyable for him and that he was like deep in the process of making these decisions so whatever i don't know but these are also you know wannabe judge dorks can we trust them He was nominated by President Richard Nixon in October 1970. Uh, Before that, he went to St. Mary's University and the University of Texas Law School. And wildly, dun dun dun, the person who is the hitman who took the job to kill him is Woody Harrelson's biological father. So dun, dun, dun. A white man can't jump. Um what are Hunger games? I mean Woody Harrelson. Larry True Flint. Yeah. yeah. So um yeah, Woody Harrelson. He didn't really grow up with this dad, and we'll find out about their relationship earlier, but he is the hitman who took this job. So Harrelson was hired by J- Hamayel, Is a Jamel? Whatever. But they call him <laughs> Jimmy Chagra. And if um you know about drugs he was at the time like the biggest coke and marijuana dealer ever like he was just like a very well-known international drug dealer Uh, and um, he paid harrelson two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to assassinate wood who was going to preside over the drug lord's trial so he was trying to get rid of the judge so he didn't have to go to trial
0: i mean he still would have had to go to trial but maybe he's like it's like you don't you don't get out when your judge gets killed (laughs) like but maybe he didn't want somebody with such a high sentencing. Rate. That's what yeah. it is.
2: That has to be it. Like, he's just known for. Uh, doing that now. So Harrelson got 250 grand for this. Um, and he's done more for less. Okay. <laughs> he, um, was sentenced to 15 years for killing a man for only $2,000. So, Jeez. yeah, he served five of those 15, um, for good behavior. And then he was also acquitted of another murder of an executive at a carpet company. And that I think was only for like $1,500. Like he just, um, he was just kind of a chill ass. He, he was doing it for the love of the game, man. <laughs> Yeah. He just loved to murder. So Sam Degelia Jr. was the victim that he got charged for. Uh, he was like a father of four. So it is very sad. And the first trial ended in it with a deadlocked jury. But in that same case in trial, they found his like partner, accomplice guy, Peter Sc- Scamorado, whatever. This guy named Pete, he got, <laughs> he was sentenced um to seven years probation for the murder so it is weird that one person found guilty and the other was like a deadlock jury and it led to a mistrial but whatever and then allenberg was uh the victim of the crime he got acquitted from he was tried on may 28th 1968 for the murder and september 22nd 1970 was acquitted by a jury in texas and i don't really know how another fun moment with him is He had a six hour cocaine induced standoff with authorities near Van Horn, Texas in 1980 that led to his arrest on drug and weapons charges. The police were called to the scene um, for the standoff after there was a gun. He was like firing guns at imaginary FBI agents while high as hell. that's (laughs) how they like apprehended him eventually for some of them some of his fun doings um and now you understand more about woody harrelson um so but you know you were talking about the love of the game not only was he murdering his day job he loved being a crooked card uh, card dealer and gambler so he was really good at like cheating and you know flipping he around sounds, cards this sounds
0: like a full this sounds like a full movie this man's life like yeah doesn't he sound like a movie character like that woody harrelson would play like it's weird. yes
2: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> It's widely believed, though, that Harrelson was involved in the world of organized crime and even claimed to have been connected to the 1962 assassination of President John F. Kennedy. What? now some reports say that he was one of the tramps photographed on the grassy knoll. Like three people were kind of arrested. There's photos of them and they're wearing hats and they were never fully processed and they were set off. And so the like conspiracy and everything was that he worked for the government. And that's how he was able to get off, um, get out of these crimes and not be charged for stuff. Ah, And
0: interesting. But I don't
2: know why the government would work with someone so sloppy.
0: Yeah, and who goes into, like, cocaine binges and sees things. Yeah, yeah. and so I also
2: <laughs> don't know if the JFK rumors are real or he started them, because a lot of accounts say that he would just, like, tell people that he did it. Sure. <laughs> but um, Woody Harrelson um, had an interview with Barbara Walters and it was quoted saying he believed his father was a CIA operative. Okay. But again, I mean, maybe the CIA gets people of all different types, and then if that's the case, I'm available. but. <laughs> I don't know why they would work with him. And, you know, Jimmy, like I mentioned, who hired him was a kingpin of marijuana smuggling in the 70s and was notorious for his lavish lifestyle and gambling habits. Hello, gambling. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I love it. (laughs) So Jimmy and um, Mr. Harrelson, they met in Vegas. Gambling, And that's how all of this um, kind of started. And for years, federal prosecutors in the Southwest had uh, been at war with Chagra and the and his El Paso family of Lebanese immigrants. So he was everyone was staring at him like everyone wanted him on February 29th, 1979. He was um, indicted on five counts of trafficking in marijuana and cocaine. So according to future testimony from Joseph Chagra, and he's obviously the brother of Jimmy, and he was an attorney and he uh, was Jimmy's attorney. And he said that, you know, they went to a pretrial hearing on April 2nd, 1979, and Judge Wood kept denying like a bunch of defense motions. And Jimmy was getting nervous and looked over and was like, fuck, I'm not gonna have a fair trial. Do you think I should kill Judge Wood? And so that's where the planning started. And Joseph said, yes, I think you should. And OK. Wow. Um, and the trial was set for May 29th, 1979. Sound like a familiar date? Yeah, that is the day of the shooting. Oh, wow. So he was on his way to that court case. Joseph, wow. this lawyer, ended up receiving a 10-year sentence in exchange for testimony against Harrelson, who legit said that he told him that he killed the judge with one clean shot in the back. So Harrelson like confessed it to Joseph. Wow. And this whole case, like after Wood got shot, it was uh, like the FBI spent tens of thousands of man hours, more than $11 million in search for Wood's killer. And the investigation lasted nearly three years. Um, At first, the investigation was going slowly with the U.S. attorney in San Antonio. So then it was shifted to the Justice Department in Washington. And it it was uh, considered the biggest FBI probe since President Kennedy's murder. Like all 54 branches were working on this. It was like a huge thing. And that again, is it because of the judge? Is it because of the, you know, drug dealing of it all? Or is it because Mr. Harrelson is an operative and they had to like do something about it? Like we don't really know, but huge investigation. Uh, James O. Ingraham, deputy assistant director in the FBI's criminal division, was put in charge of investigating the killing of Wood. Um, And U.S. Marshals were assigned to protect all federal judges in the area. Uh, The case was kept away from reporters and they maintained tight wraps on information of the case. And yeah, keeping it tight, 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 tight. Um, And from the beginning, the federal officials never wavered from the belief that Chagra was at the heart of the murder. And they all thought it was him and that's another reason it kind of took so long that the stakes were so high um they didn't want to blow the case they needed all the evidence they can get and they knew they wouldn't have another chance and he's so high connected and rich and wild so they really um they really had to get all their shit together so five people were indicted besides shagra and harrelson um you know it was joseph the lawyer jimmy shagra's wife elizabeth and harrelson's wife joanne who is not woody's mother um if you can imagine this man was married a lot of times so there's a <laughs> lot of women <laughs> um and they like a bunch of them were charged with conspiracy to murder wood and with the obstruction of justice and we'll go into like more of their in, like individual actions in this case And it was a big risk going after everybody, but they secretly taped conversations between the two Chagra brothers and between Joe Chagra and Harrelson. And Joe Chagra claims the tapes are not admissible in court because he was acting as an attorney for both men. And so that like fucks up with client attorney privilege, but they taped everything. Uh They also taped conversations with Jimmy and another prison inmate who agreed to cooperate. So the government recorded more than 1000 conversations, most of them by telephone, but there was just like lots of stuff. And because Jimmy was in jail for drug charges beforehand. So they had like conversations from the time that he was in jail as well. There's another Chagra brother, Lee, who was a defense attorney that made a small fortune, whatever that means. I don't know. Besting the government in a bunch of drug cases. And Lee was murdered on December 23rd, 1978 in his office. A few months later, Jimmy was arrested on drug smuggling charges.
0: Huh. So his brother was murdered and then, okay.
2: I don't even know if that's connected, but if there's a murder in the family, I'm going to mention it. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) This whole time that the case was starting, the youngest brother, Joe, who was a lawyer, was trying to get Wood off the case. He said that Wood um, was biased and prejudiced. Uh, But like old Judge Taft from svu he got to overrule their motion and did not grant a change of uh like of judge but did grant a change of venue so they moved the trial from midland to austin so that's you know we didn't know if that was just svu style but in real life you could try to get a judge removed and it's up to the judge to say if that's okay or not so he overruled that So what's wild is the murder took place 14 blocks from the scene of a November 22nd ambush where two gunmen fired 15 rounds of bullets into the car of an assistant U.S. attorney, James Kerr, as he left home for work when he was only but he was only injured slightly, which is good. Um, And he also specialized in narcotics prosecutions and presided over very important cases before Wood.
0: Jesus being a judge is like scary at this time period but
2: we didn't really think about it and it reminds me of the Zapata case with um you know Alex Cabot and having to escape and that they're they're down to kill witnesses judges lawyers they do not care and so a lot of stuff was happening so after the shooting happened to Kerr um all the judges in the area got guarded by federal marshals and they had protection but the judge asked for it to stop shortly before christmas which might have been a bad mistake because within six months he was killed but i don't know how much how long they could have protective detail Mm. over every judge in san antonio i mean yeah they're spending so much money it's wild you could just also make drugs legal and then everything (laughs) would be fine and there wouldn't be all this bullshit yeah it's almost like the war on drugs doesn't work Kerr was kept undercover for a while until he returned in a very dramatic fashion to federal court in January to prosecute a narcotic smuggling suspect who was defended by Joe Chagra uh, with Judge Wood presiding.
0: I mean, this is like a soap opera television show that this guy <laughs> yeah. is representing all these drug kingpins, including his brother, who's one of the biggest drug kingpins.
2: And that's what actually solidified the government's theory that Harrelson was connected by them and hired because they're like, why else would Joe Chagra be defending him you know he's like a hillbilly lunatic so in turn of like keeping it in the family actually they told on themselves yes and you know, with all this, I don't. Oh God, yeah, so much. But it also like brings to light that something I don't think about, where it's like all the judges and lawyers see each other all the time. They're all friends. They're all not like they're chatting. Like it is this little community. They're not strangers, and they all know who each other right. are and work with each other. And you know, you love some judges, you hate some judges, and like, what if a judge doesn't really like a lawyer? Like, I don't trust human beings, no matter what their position, to be impartial and be professional. I don't like if you hate some lawyer. Can you be impartial? Like, I don't yeah. know. We we give too much power to people. So February 1981, federal agents armed with search warrants went to Joe Shager's home and the homes of all the other family mem- members um, to gather evidence. They found tapes of conversations and a rough map that showed Harrelson where he had left the murder weapon and, of course, oh. collected drugs, too. So there was like oh. a drawn map <laughs> The map, though, didn't help lead to the weapon and evidence uh, was questionable, so they had to continue their pursuit of additional evidence and spent months trying to pit the people in the case against each other, hoping that someone would testify. Then there was a break where a rifle stock was discovered near where the map located the murder weapon, and it was traced back to Joanne Harrelson. Joanne Harrelson um, was this guy's second wife. Uh, She was tried and convicted of purchasing the weapon under a false name. And this is a little bit tied to the episode. And I wonder if they did that on purpose. But she used a fake name. Um, It was Faye King. Which Ah. is faking. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah. Like bend over. OK. Yeah.
2: So I don't know. You know, Neil Bear might have to let us know if that was on purpose <laughs> or not. But um, if they were taking from this case, that kind of makes sense. But faking. Um, so it was purchased uh, by a f- with this fake name 12 days before the slaying. Wow. And I would never say slaying because to me slay is just drag race. But <laughs> they kept saying it in this. And I was like, I kind of like it. Yeah, like to switch days it up before
0: he death dropped.
2: Yeah. <laughs> The FBI did get someone to flip, and that was Teresa Starr Jasper, Harrelson's stepdaughter, who in the past had been jailed last sh- like the year prior on contempt charges for refusing to testify to the grand jury. But she uh, surely ended up testifying and not being indicted in the case. So trust no one. Chagra's wife delivered the $250,000 to Harrelson's stepdaughter, Teresa Starr, at a Las Vegas hotel and took delivery of the blood money to carry out the hit on Judge Wood. So you can't do that. Yeah, (laughs) I guess that's a crime. (laughs) You can't be (laughs) moving around blood, money. Um, Now, in March 1981, a Dallas newspaper reported that the judge had actually been trailed for several months before the shooting. The Dallas Morning News said the surveillance began after a secret meeting in San Antonio in December 1978. Like they found proof that Charles had rented a cabin for a week near the near the beach home of the judge in Rockport, Texas, while the judge was also vacationing.
0: Oh, that's so sketchy.
2: Um, And this was all scooped by an unidentified man who says he was at the meeting and was offered big bucks to do it and a cocaine connect and everything, uh, but to provide and dispose of them after the murder. And he had no interest in doing that. Jimmy Shager, though, who hires the hitman, was acquitted of murder and conspiracy of murder in Jacksonville, Florida, but was convicted on drug charges. He was also found guilty of obstructing the investigation into the slaying and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Chagra was freed on parole in 2003 and entered witness protection. And then he died in 2008 of cancer in Arizona. So Jimmy Chagra is dead. Elizabeth Chagra, who is the wife of Jimmy um, and was found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and conspiracy to obstruct justice. She was accused of lying in her testimony about the purchase of the hunting rifle that was used, and she lied in saying she knew nothing about a trip made by her daughter and the trip to pick up the cash. She was sentenced to 30 years, which I think is fucked up.
0: The wife got 30 years yes. for conspiracy
2: to commit murder and conspiracy to obstruct and, justice. Okay. That's yeah. A lot. I guess if you help out, cause well, someone told me like, if you're the getaway car, you're still charged for murder. Right. Like if you're a part of a murder or something taking place, you are charged with everybody else. Mm.
0: He barely served 30 years. He, ser- he served, it looks like he served 25 years. Yeah.
2: And we know, we years. learned from the Eileen Warno's case. They don't really give women deals. Yeah, because the jails aren't over done. Um, Yeah, I'm kind of sad for her. So she got 30 years and she died in prison in 1997 of ovarian cancer. And her family fought really hard and tried to get her out, like for a compassionate release. But that did not happen. Joanne was found guilty of conspiracy to obstruct justice and previously convicted of using a false name to buy a rifle and sentenced to three years. So I don't understand these sentences at all. Joe Chagra, who was the attorney, he pled guilty to conspiracy charges and served more than six years of a 10 year sentence. And he died in a car accident in 1996.
0: Damn, yeah. Family is like con- kind of haunted or. Yeah. Cursed.
2: Or you're a drug dealing king- kingpin. Yeah. It could be yeah. karma. Well, yeah. Curse. Well,
0: I don't know if. Curse. Yeah. Yeah ovarian cancer car accidents these all seem like things that perhaps were brought on by karma yeah who knows yeah
2: cool because you said unlucky and i go they had something to do with their luck (laughs) (laughs) i'm not um harrelson was defended by court appointed attorney thomas g sharp who defended him on the two previous murder for higher charges um and one ended in acquittal and one you know with that sentence so whatever Anyways, this trial was 11 weeks. Charles Harrelson was convicted in 1982 to two consecutive life terms plus five years, which is really funny. So he was found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, murder of a federal judge, and conspiracy to obstruct justice, which was that extra five years. Um, and that came after 18 hours of deliberation. And then I read that dur- when they like the jury was saying the not, you know, we found we find this defendant guilty people were losing their minds like I understand the Lacey Peterson case people are going to get upset about some stuff but here uh the accounts say that a bunch of the jury were in tears one woman shook visibly and broke into sobs another juror collapsed in her chair after the verdict was read and needed to be helped from the courtroom
0: I'm so confused this is like a career criminal like why yeah
2: I don't get it Okay. i really don't get it so if
0: like, I had him, he was supposed to
2: murder my ex-husband next week <laughs> they're so sad um accounts from the courtroom also say that harrelson was at ease and leaning back in his chair and even giving the jury little smiles it's like i can see woody harrelson doing that like yeah. you now woody
0: harrelson has that sly smile oh my gosh yeah
2: um he was wearing a three-piece denim suit which i love okay <laughs> In his testimony, though, he said that he was set up by another guy. He said that the gun was given to this other guy, not by his wife. He also said that someone borrowed his car and he was not using his car that day. And it's like, bro, it's you. Uh, But then he also like I think he loves attention. He gives me a lot of Tiger King vibes um, and he ended up giving his whole life story, criminal life, spilled all these secrets on the stand. Like he was also arrested at age 21 on a robbery charge in Orange County. Um and then okay, but this is what I don't like. So federal district judge William S. Sessions was a pallbearer at the slain judge's funeral. Appointed himself this case.
0: This is Daddy Cragen energy. This yes. is what Daddy Cragen was kind of doing.
2: Like you carried this dead man's body? At his funeral, and now you're presiding over the case. Yeah, but he was the chief judge in the district, so he was allowed to do that to himself. So uh, Harrelson goes to prison. He gets two life sentences, the extra five years. Now I cannot get enough of this guy. On July fourth, nineteen ninety five, he attempted to escape a federal prison in Atlanta with two <laughs> other inmates using a makeshift rope. So on you know on America's birthday. Or fake birthday, you know, and we as a culture think differently of July 4th, but it is one of my favorite holidays and I do like fireworks and hot dogs. And the, uh, now I'm going to celebrate the attempted escape of this man as well. Uh, <laughs> but a warning shot was fired at them from the prison's tower very, very quickly and the trio surrendered. And then he was transferred to Supermax in Florence, Colorado, which is the highest federal prison anywhere. Other inmates included the Unabomber, the Olympic Park Bomber, and the Oklahoma City Bomber. And then this fucking hillbilly. A real who's who. A who's who. I, are they all put to death now?
0: Yeah, I actually don't know. The Unabomber is dead, right? He's alive.
2: Unabomber's oh, no. alive. Good. I wonder if he's yeah. still writing. Okay. <laughs> Do you still write? <laughs> I liked the doc about him. We'll write him a pen pal letter like the girl in this episode and be like, do you still write? Do you journal? (laughs) So in 1997, Woody Harrelson bankrolled his father's unsuccessful appeal and attended the federal proceedings in Texas and Colorado. But to appeal after an escape attempt is very LOL to me. (laughs) Like you appeal to be like, no, I'm a good guy. But like trying to escape prison, then appealing is like the wrong order of stuff.
0: I wonder if like he thought, oh, if my, my now my son is kind of famous, maybe I'll get off because of like, you know, you never know what goes to people's heads. Like, you know, my son's bankrolling. He'll be showing up in court. Maybe this will draw more attention and they'll let me out for something. Who knows?
2: Yeah, um, he so Woody Harrelson in an interview says uh, that he tried for years to get him to get him free and get him a new trial. And they're like, do you think he deserved a new trial? And Harrelson says, I don't know if he deserved a new trial, but just being a son trying to help his dad. Um, And then he spent a couple million dollars. I don't know whatever so he didn't think that his dad was innocent but in his head he's like I'm just gonna help my dad in whatever way I can Yeah. Um, in a 1988 interview Woody Harrelson with People Magazine said that his father left his mother in 1968 when Woody was 8 and didn't feel like Charles was much of a parent at all In quote he took no valid part in my upbringing so it is a little confusing that he still paid for all the appeals and tried to get his father out um, even though he didn't have a connection but familial bonds are yeah. unique in their own way and yeah. he said that him and his father had grown closer since the imprisonment and he told people magazine that he's still trying to figure out if his father is like a friend or a parent like he he can't really he doesn't get it but says that when he was 11 or 12 i heard his name mentioned on a car radio i was in a car waiting for a lady who was picking me up from school helping my mom and anyway i was listening to the radio and it was talking about charles harrelson thinking there can't be another charles v harrelson i mean that's my dad and it was a wild realization so he was just like in a carpool with some other woman and hearing about his dad being a killer on the radio pretty wild And but he said the lady was really, really nice to him and realized what had happened and was like a nice lady. So that's cute. Mm -hmm. Um, Charles died in prison March 15th, 2007 at age 68. Um, And the federal building on Cesar Chavez Boulevard is named after Judge Wood. So there's a building named after the judge. um, And that is his legacy. Sucks that he was killed. Everyone's dead in prison or out. Yeah, it seems like everyone here is dead. So Yikes. if you want to know more and deep dive into the John F. Kennedy of it all and all this government conspiracy stuff, you can check out Steve Fury's podcast or um, you know, some wild sources on the internet that are not yeah. up to our standards. <laughs> but um yeah, this was interesting. I like the Woody Harrelson connection of it all and maybe he. We'll make a movie one day about it. Who knows? Because what I learned from Steve, but I couldn't find anything in my research, was in Colorado, like during that appeals process, they all had to stay in like one place. Like everyone was staying near the courthouse. Like all everyone had to go to Colorado. And Woody Harrelson played pickup basketball with like the judge or the lawyer or something. Um, and they got along playing basketball. And so then that judge had to recuse himself from the case because he had so much fun playing basketball with Woody Harrelson. <laughs> and so then um, the dad got a new judge and that judge squashed the appeal. And maybe the other one wouldn't have. But yeah, so that was just like a little moment that I liked hearing about, but I couldn't yeah. find information about it. Um, but at the end of the day, these are just like trash criminals who are willing to murder for a thousand dollars. Damn. And set up their wives like why not I mean obviously people are people and this is not my own personal opinion but if I was a drug kingpin I would not be setting up my wife I wouldn't have my wife do the blood money I would hire some like I don't yeah, understand career. why they yeah. like this
0: is not hard. <laughs>
2: Or I was gonna say like you know I'm sure there was some sex workers r- running around like I just don't know why you wouldn't ask I guess you a random... just feel like
0: you can't you can only trust family to bring you back two hundred fifty thousand dollars cash and not run away to Mexico or something uh, that's the only thing I'm playing devil's advocate for a drug kingpin right
2: no now, but... I would like to know the reasoning because to me it's like well now your wife had to spend thirty years in prison and die slowly I mean cancer. this is
0: like she sounds like a Orange Is the New Black character like this is the kind of shit Red was in jail for in that show she. Was was just like you know shit that her criminal husband got her involved in well thank you for all that in-depth research lisa i knew nothing about this and it was very interesting
2: yeah i wonder if we would know well i guess it was like the first federal judge that was ever assassinated but i wonder if we would care or know about this case at all if it wasn't for woody harrelson's connection yeah interesting true
0: And that the guy tried to take credit for JFK. I mean, I (laughs) I love that. I love that. I love that. (laughs)
2: What if you could take credit for one crime? What would you take credit for? (laughs) Um, I'd be the Zodiac. Wait, I was listening to Christina Ricci on Whitney Cummings podcast, and I guess she played Lizzie Borden in a movie or TV show or something. And her research showed that Lizzie Borden is not guilty and that she was set up and there's all this evidence that lizzie borden was did not do it and so we do
0: want to do that episode
2: what episode is oh is it the sarah paulson one Motherfucker, sarah (laughs) do our show um yeah i would love to see i would love to be able to learn check it
0: out yeah Yeah. all right well we have a hot hot guest coming up so don't go anywhere guys this week's guest i'm sorry i was uh blushing heavily over zoom because we we've had some very hot guests
2: but this is one of our hottest guests of all time And standout- sorry to interrupt but i was so mad my hair looks crazy and i kept trying to fix it throughout the interview <laughs> not like i was about to go marry this guy or anything but i was just like can i just please look good in front of him and i couldn't i remember my curls it'll live it's like I, I was fidgeting. I could. I was not chill. I was not
0: chill. Well, especially for Lisa, because this man is from a very iconic episode of Sex in the City. He is in a, a, a one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. The Devil Wears Prada. Um, you can catch him recently in the stars crime drama Power Book Two: Colin Ghost. But you know him well as CSU technician Bert Trevor. Guys, our chat with the one and only daniel sunjata we can't believe we're talking to Bert trevor
1: i know now you know you know what's crazy um i, I didn't think my character had a name when i first got the job
2: but the first episode you were bomb squad guy random yeah mm-hmm. um and then how did the jump go to play Bert? did you have to audition again did they just say we need this guy
1: back so this is how that happened. I got confused last night when I was watching the episode. <laughs> the way that happened was I was sitting in my apartment in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm eating like chicken wings and rice, white rice once a day, trying not to take <laughs> a second job so I could be available for auditions. Uh, I get a call from my agents that uh, I believe it's Julie Tucker. I believe it was Julie Tucker at the time who was doing casting. And um, they're like, got to come in today. So I ran over to Pier 23. I think that is on the on the West Side Highway over there. And um, they were literally, they had fired somebody or, or for some reason, the person had to be replaced that day. Wow. So it was like, come in and audition. If you get the job, you're going to work tonight. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm like freaking out. I'm on the subway trying to memorize the lines and everything. So I get there and kind of the rest is history. Like I auditioned, I booked it. And I guess it was the bomb squad guy that was the first. I, I vaguely remember that now. Vaguely. I think he might have been at a goatee. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what. He did. But uh, the episode that I watched last night, was it season three, episode 19 or whatever that Justice,
2: was? Justice, yeah. Yeah,
1: that was, uh, that was a totally different. That's Bert.
2: Yeah, yeah that's there.
1: Bert. Big old Bert, yeah.
2: Well, that scene is iconic. That bottle has... Stayed in my mind for decades, and <laughs> it's just like one of the best scenes ever. Do you did you break the like? Do you remember that bottle scene? And are the yeah. facts that you say all true? Because you say a lot of you come in, you like blow up the case, and then you kind of leave. And yeah, is all the science real? And tell us about the bottle moment.
1: I don't know if the science is real. It <laughs> cer- certainly it certainly seems to be based in reality. So, I mean, I know that there are laboratory, you know, forensic laboratory technicians who, who do that kind of job. They kind of help deconstruct the crime scene for the detectives and, and help them, you know, on their, their journey to solving the crime, uh, splatter pattern. When he was talking about the splatter pattern and the, the way the blood droplets went down the stairs. And it seemed like she tumbled over and all that. I, I think that they can really tell that kind of stuff from evidence left at a crime scene, physical evidence. Um, the mother sure was sloppy though. Like, yeah, <laughs> she's like, you know, what I mean, I believed her too. <laughs> I be- I believed her up until the end, but yeah, shooting that scene was actually really nerve wracking. That's why last night I was like, I think this is the day that I, you know, this was my first episode. I couldn't even remember season see, that I started in season one. So uh, yeah, that day, uh, for some reason, I was super nervous. And you know, Chris and Mariska, when they 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 have such long days. And to all of the co stars, they're very generous. They're super kind, you know, but you kind of get the impression that we want you to be good, but can you get, can you just, can you just get, it, <laughs> let, let's get it done, you know, stand in the right spot, say the right words, and let's, let's keep it pushing. So I was having a problem hitting my mark that day. That day, there was a ton of technical jargon that I had to, I had to walk them through my analysis of the crime scene. I had to act. The direction from the director was that he's like, He's like a mad scientist in his lab and he's like super excited this kind of stuff turns him on he's really excited to you know to share with him what (laughs) his what his conclusions are so i'm trying to play that you know and then uh it was it's a very small room so when you're shooting in a small space and there's like two or three people in that space hitting your mark is very important otherwise the cam otherwise it's a problem for camera and i just could not hit my mark that day i just kept i was so consumed with remembering what i had to say and uh the thing with the bottle i had to hold the bottle in an awkward angle so that it looks natural on camera sometimes you have to instead of looking at your phone like this they need you to like do this you know so that it, yeah. for some reason so that it looks you know so it was a similar situation with the bottle i had to hold it and break it in such a way that took forever and anyway i remember between takes i was basically having a panic attack because i felt like i'm going to get fired i'm not this isn't happening fast enough <laughs> and Chris Maloney from across the room. He was just like Dan, and I looked over at him. And he was just like this, calm down. And I was like, <laughs> Oh thank god! You know, oh. I just needed somebody to just give me the space to just you know take wow. my time. And it was a very, it was a, a very generous moment. To this day, when I bump into Chris, I remind him of that. He was like, I remember, man, you were freaking out. You were freaking <laughs> out. <laughs> so anyway, that's the story of that scene.
2: Wow. Yeah. It must be harder to memorize the lines when it's all the science chats. Yeah. Than regular.
1: It definitely is because you have to say it. You have to speak this technical jargon as if it's second nature to you. Actually, as if you're such an expert in your field that you have to dumb it down a little bit for the people that you are explaining it to. Meanwhile, you're just an actor pretending (laughs) that, you know, There's a reason why I did not go to medical school. There's a reason why I did not study, you know, criminal, whatever, uh, psychology. So, um, yeah, that could be a little tricky.
2: Well, I was going to say, even though you haven't had all this training, it seems like you get a lot of roles as authority, fireman, cop, FBI. And I guess, uh, what do you think it is about you that...
1: I don't know. I, I don't I, I don't I don't I don't feel very authoritative in my own life. That and yeah, I guess that's true because it was rescue me and I don't know. I guess it's like a lot of your the way you get cast has to do with how you are perceived by the casting directors when they they get a script, they they break it down. Now they're looking to what actors are they going to call in for these roles? And I just picture them looking up and bloop, 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 little thought yeah. bubbles of like 15 different people pop up and then they go, you, you. And I guess yeah. I, I'm, I'm one of the faces that pops up when they need a <laughs> cop or something like that.
2: Yeah. And we noticed there was SVU Rescue Me overlap. Did, uh, do you remember like working with your Rescue Me co-stars on SVU and we're bumping into each other? It was James McCaffrey.
1: Oh, right. James my guy um no i don't i don't remember that i don't remember that but i do remember both productions being very generous in trying to work it out so that i could do both things at the same time sometimes you know if you're contractually obligated to one job and you have an opportunity to do a second job the first job will just say no just because they can and they want you to be totally available to them but when we're talking about young actors who are trying to just get a career started. And it's really the, it's the aggregate of work that you, you know, it's, it's the fact that people see you on rescue me and now they see you on law and order and now they see you in a Broadway play and now sex in the city. And mm. that's what, that's what starts a career. It's like uh, building a fire you have to use little pieces at first, sure. kindling, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you can get, so you can get it going. So I was very grateful that both production houses understood that and they did what they could to help a young actor get their career going. You know? Yeah. And it yeah.
0: sounds like a lot of the New York shows are also very cool when it comes to people doing stage stuff. They'll try to like help people get out on time to like get to do, you know, Broadway or off-Broadway stuff too. It's true. Which is probably different than LA.
1: Definitely different than LA. Not, not that there's no theater out here, but that's a hundred percent true.
2: <laughs> How, when did you move out here? It seems like you were in New York for a really long time.
1: Um, I just got here. My girlfriend and I just got here. I'd say two weeks ago and uh yeah i'm I'm finishing another job and then after that we we intend to stay here for a while but i have lived here before we were in oh okay larchmont hancock park last time
2: the best noah's bagels
1: noah's bagels you you
2: might not be eating bagels but
1: (laughs) no hey I'm, I'm, i'm all about it well
2: this is a little off topic but you know we were researching you and usually when you type in an actor's name or an actress like this the first option is always like wife girlfriend boyfriend husband how have you been able to escape that there is nothing
1: yeah I, um, there's no
2: dirt on you we were trying to get some uh <laughs>
1: there's some there's some random blah blah and some you know blogs in the deep web, whatever, you know, it's people will say, people will say whatever they want to say about you. Um, I just, at the beginning of my career, anytime I had an interview, I I made sure that it was understood that I'm happy to talk about the work. I'm happy to talk about my education. I'm happy to talk about all kinds of things, but I'd really rather leave my personal life out of it. And even then sometimes they'll try to like, so who's the lucky lady and you know what i mean but uh, it's i just find it you know the, i think the less people know once you open that door then it's wide open forever and people just feel entitled yeah. to you know and i don't know what the experience is like for women in hollywood but for men in hollywood if you happen to play those cards the cards of your personal life close to your chest uh, people will then just speculate like he's gay or, you know, Mm -hmm. he he never brings anybody. He's this, he's that. And you know, sure. I might be gay. Absolutely. Um, maybe I, I, it could be whatever you just let your imaginations run wild. I really don't, I don't really care. It actually tickles me. Yeah. Yeah. And I stay out of trouble in case (laughs) you haven't noticed. I stay out of trouble.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you do. Um, well, that's good though. Um, so having been on like 16 episodes of this show, you obviously worked with all the different detectives. We're getting the Maloney scoop from you, et cetera. Was there anybody that you were like super excited when you got, when you were like, oh, I got a scene with this person today. I'm so excited to work with ice or I'm so excited to work with so-and-so. Like I know we're going to have it. Yeah. (laughs) All right.
1: (laughs) You just said it. I mean, ice tea. I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And uh, we were in some scenes together. Um, but my my fondest memories of him are just the stories that he would tell when we were in the hair and makeup room at the same time you know stuff about street life and you know pimping and you know <laughs> the, the pimp game and the rap game and stuff and i would just sit there and just listen to him you know I was like wow iced tea this is crazy Damn. i can't believe it. is he's is he's still on the show yes he is. oh my god still,
0: i don't think he's got any plans to go anywhere no. either
1: Let me, let me tell you when you are on a show like that and it's now it's three, four seasons. You've basically heard from Dick. As long as you want to be here, you're here. The checks that these people are bringing home. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't leave that job either.
0: I mean, on top of the fact that not only is it running, so you're getting like a guaranteed episode, you know, episode order every season, but then the syndication
2: it's yes. on 10 channels at the same time. And well, I'm all sure times. you're getting some checks. <laughs> I hope you're still getting some fun.
1: Not really, not really. Not, I think that the, not really at all, actually. I did for a while, <laughs> but the merger between SAG and AFTRA, they didn't really negotiate the best deal for the actors. And um. there was, there was a day when you would make almost, if not more money in your residual uh, income than you made on your contract. Even if you were just a day player. Now, now it's, it's a new day. Now you have to be a series regular in order to do that. What I wanted to say though, is that it's never really been to be on what I would consider to be a procedural show as a series regular. I would, I could see myself doing it for a short period of time, but I don't think no matter how much money I was making, I wouldn't feel artistically and creatively gratified doing it for almost two decades. It's like, this is my opinion, my perception but often the most interesting characters on the show are the guest stars or the person that might have done it. They have the most interesting roles. Yeah. Sometimes, oftentimes they even have the better dialogue. It seems like the detectives, a lot of times, it's a different version of the same thing. They walk in, they ask a couple of questions. You know, uh, sometimes the question is just, well, why? and how do you and what and when did that happen and it's okay you can tell the truth you know what i mean uh, they, they they usually at some point have like a nice chunk of something you know to, to say but i don't know it just uh, i think it would become i want to say monotonous that's not the right word No,
0: we've heard different people say this say similar things to us too that people yeah. that were regulars on the show for a long time were like you know after x amount of seasons it started to feel like my character wasn't really growing anymore but Right, You on. know, Ice is still finding the fun, I guess. And hey. uh, he's got, you know, he's also on a show where they let him bring Coco with him wherever he goes. She's with him all the time.
2: Yeah, They're Can't throwing lavish that.
0: parties for baby Chanel. I mean, I think
2: they're having, <laughs> yeah. I think they're living a good life. Well, so you mentioned (laughs) that the guest stars have um, like cool lines and all that. And it reminded me you're in one of you're in a lot of iconic, iconic episodes. Um, But do you remember you're in an episode where the guy goes, I had sex with my sister and then he pukes. (laughs)
1: i do remember that i don't remember what yes yes i do remember that it's called
0: families and people are obsessed with it they all everybody wants us to cover it but it's not based on a real crime i don't think but okay Okay. and you're in
2: one of neil bear's favorite episodes i don't know if you guys ever connected on the set we we,
1: what was the episode? it was
2: uh coerced coerced of course okay i was with the kashistis it was like a guy with schizophrenia trying to kidnap us a boy
1: Oh, okay. No, I don't recall that. I mean, I we're nuts. We like
2: remember yeah, so many
0: of no these. For, yeah. you. Uh, some of these you probably only were in for like a scene or two and we're like, <laughs> do you remember? Um. Well,
1: that, that was kind of like, I was so grateful that that I was on for like, what was it? 17, 19 episodes. Yeah. But it was the kind of thing where um, they made it easy. Like they would, it would be like once every three episodes or four episodes, I'd come in and do like two drive-by scenes. Like, Trevor, (laughs) Trevor, Um, it wasn't like an every week or an every day kind of thing. So it was easy to fit that into into the other stuff I was
2: doing we have bad habits sometimes we'll ask a question and someone's like that was in 2002 and I don't I don't know what you want from me so uh, (laughs) I definitely
1: understand
2: that it was no
0: but you you know a lot of details from that episode justice and that was you know 18 years ago at least so that's that's
1: because I watched it last night but I haven't seen I haven't seen it yeah, I watched it because I knew that's what we were going to talk about today. Yeah. But I haven't seen any of my work on Law & Order in a very long time. Sometimes uh, in general, so, yeah.
2: do you watch yourself? What? How do you pick and choose what you watch? I mean, you were on Rescue Me for so long. Do you watch every week or specific ones? Or when you just started, were you like, I got to watch with my family and let's get food. How does that work?
1: It was uh, when well, with Rescue Me, it was me, Michael Lombardi and Steve Pasquale that were the young guys that had got cast on the show. And when I tell you we were excited, like we literally, (laughs) we met in Times Square when they put the billboard up and we were like, whoa, my God, we're (laughs) on a billboard in Times Square. You know, we didn't then stand there and wait for people to recognize us and ask (laughs) us for autographs. But um, yeah, we used to have viewing parties and we would get together at each other's cribs. And we did that for about the first one or two seasons. And then you kind of, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's your job. You're still passionate about what you're doing, but the, the excitement Kind of wore off for us, and we became just more focused on the work. Mm. Um, in general, unless it's something like that, it's a situation that I'm just super, super excited about. Or I'm wondering if how it felt to me when I gave the performance, if it came across that way. Um, in situations like that, I'll watch myself. But a lot of times, my friends get mad at me because I, I forgot to tell them that something that I did was airing, <laughs> and I, because even I didn't know that it was airing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. When you were on SVU, did you ever um, did you ever befriend any of the other CSU techs like uh, Melinda Warner, Melinda Warner or Doyle me. like,
1: um, no, we never got close. I mean, they, we, our paths would cross occasionally, but no, I didn't make any like I would say long term friendships. And the last person that I've seen was was Chris was Maloney because he cast me in this show that he did called Happy.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that.
1: So, you know, he, and he just called me out of the blue again. I really needed a job at the time and it was a straight offer. And I was so grateful. Um, I did not watch that particular, I did not, I did not watch happy, but that's because of my vanity. Uh, I was, I was a little rotund in that role for myself. Oh. So I was, <laughs> It's an image conscious industry. You know, we're, we're all so neurotic about that, but yeah. I guess yeah, if, if he wasn't happy with the way I looked, he probably would have been like oh because
2: he (laughs) loves fitness
1: yeah oh my god oh my god the guy is to this day he is jacked
0: yeah no his butt his butt had a real summer i feel like he was having a
2: real (laughs) hot butt summer
1: Um, Butt summer (laughs) lots of squats
2: i want to talk about sex in the city and devil yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, huge Mm -hmm. huge like I mean, there's Miranda up there. Um, Oh, I'm Miranda. (laughs) How was it? I mean, there was the height of that show. You were a young actor, like you were getting SVU and stuff. But like, how was it booking it, wearing a cute little Navy outfit? And did people lose their minds?
1: I got recognized more for that single episode of TV and I'm talking, this is for years. I was, it was more than rescue me more than this, more than that. When, when people did stop me on the street, they would be like, you were on sex in the city. And I was like, yeah, that was me. (laughs) Um, it was great. Um, you know, the, the, the producers in particular, Sarah, Jessica Parker, who as the star and an executive producer on the show, doesn't have to be nice to anybody, but she was so generous, so kind. Um, just made the acting so easy, especially that the scene where we danced together, you know. Um, uh, I can't remember what the, the, the what the song was, but I think why that show did so much for that that single episode of TV, why it did so much for my career is because it was the first episode of Sex in the City to air after 9-11. I believe
2: oh, wow, I didn't wow. even know that. I'm, I'm almost
1: positive. It's the it's the fleet week, whatever I think yeah. fleet week episode.
2: Which was such a lie because I moved to New York excited for fleet week because of that episode. And then they're just, <laughs> they're like teenagers and bell bottoms. You know, it was like <laughs> such a disappointment. Cause it's like, you're expecting someone like you. And then it's it's It's, it's not, it, it was not, it was a disappointment. Real fleet week <laughs> was a disappointment.
1: Well, the, see now it was a mix because the, the guys that were on the street with me when I stopped the, the taxi cab for Jessica, they were kind of, the belt. They're more the guys that you say kind of. I would say let you down. They were very good looking <laughs> young men. They were very, good. but they were. But then they cast. You know, uh, there was another guy who was like a, like a naval officer. You know what I'm saying? And like yeah. they don't go. Those guys don't go out in New York for fleeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys that are at that level.
0: Oh my gosh, I I was gonna say like I wonder what you get recognized the most for, and I bet it's like between Devil Wears Prada and Sex in the City, just because you know you really stick out to women in these it's things. It's something that, that oh, like
2: Devil <laughs> Wears Prada I've seen at least 20 times. they watch it on flights all the time. It's just kind of always and same with Sex in the City. There are shows that you and SVU, you're kind of like we're going to see you a lot,
1: yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Devil Wears Prada was a really good movie. Um yeah. I I thought it was just going to be kind of like, you know, what the people normal what like a basically oh a chick flick that only women yeah. would want to watch it but so many of my male friends were like I watched it cuz of my girlfriend but actually it was really good and i was yeah. like it's 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 a well done film it's worth it. the pri- the price of admission just to see Meryl Streep's performance is like no
2: it's so good insane. yeah it's how was amazing. it working with Meryl Streep
1: so to be completely honest and i i do like to say that i worked with her but really i worked in front of her i didn't really have <laughs> a lot of dialogue I'm I can't even remember if we ever exchanged. There is a lot in that
0: movie of her, like, referencing you. Like, that's James Holt. Like, and then (laughs) the the camera pans, and it's like you, and it's like, ooh, James
2: Holt, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I guess the biggest scene that I had with Meryl was uh, my character is is, um, presenting her with his new line, his new fashion line, Mm. inspired by blah, blah, whatever, and still... I did have words to say to her, but then in the movie, it's all over. It's voiceover. You can't hear what I'm actually saying.
0: Right.
1: You just see her purse her lips in dissatisfaction and turn her head (laughs) to the left.
2: (laughs) Soul crushing. Do you think James Holt (laughs) deserved the pursed lips? Was that dress Um, ugly? uh,
1: I I actually thought that that dress, you know, I don't know if I have great taste in fashion, but uh, (laughs) I I thought it was pretty nice. But it, it just speaks to how high... Her character's standards were. I think.
0: I don't know what your like audition process was for Devil Wears Prada, but were you like, like you've played like a fireman, a Navy guy, a CSU tech, FBI agent, all these things, and then they're like, we want you to play a fashion designer, an up-and-coming yeah. fashion designer. Were you like, okay? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's great. I mean, a- anytime you have the opportunity to establish range outside of the way you have been being cast, uh, not the firefighter, not the cop. This is like something totally different. And I don't even think James Holt's character is in the book. I think, it was, I think he was created for the, in the context of the film. I could be oh. wrong about that, but I, I don't think he's in the actual book. Um, no, I was all over that. I was like, this is great.
2: Is there anything that you are working on now that you're really excited about or you would, would like to share?
1: Well, right now, something that's airing that again, in the spirit of a character that nobody would expect me to be playing uh, on the stars network, there's a show called power book Two: ghost. So the the flagship show is just called power. And I was a huge fan of that show.
0: Oh yeah. Power. Right.
1: Yeah. Courtney Kemp is the executive producer uh, alongside uh, Curtis Jackson, 50 cent.
0: Right. I was going to say it's 50 cent show, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so power, power was on for six seasons. I watched every episode of every season. Cause I just, I really, really liked it. And, um, then I got a call from Courtney Kemp and she just basically offered me this role. The character's name is Mecca M E C C A. Uh, he's like a, just like, wears like gorilla pimp fur coats and bald shaved head. And they dyed my beard black and I was like working out like crazy, trying to get like I, my my idea of the character was he was like a big, physically imposing kind of like dude, and um, he's the heavy for the entire second season. He's the bad guy.
0: Wow!
1: And Mary J. Blige's love interest. So I got to act with Mary J. Blige. Oh my
2: god! Yeah,
1: for the whole season. So that that's airing now. There only like three or three or four episodes have aired, um, and so I, I'm I'm excited about that. I have been watching that. I have been watching that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was excited to play that. Well, Mary J, but the character, the character that I got to play was so unlike anything I've ever gotten to do before. And uh, Courtney was like, how do you feel about rocking a bald head? I was like, yes, that's what I, 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 I wanted it to be the kind of thing where when my character is introduced, people tilt their heads and go. And then it takes them a minute and they go, oh my God, that's Daniel Sujata. Yeah, Like, you know what I mean? Not unrecognizable, but that it takes you a minute to figure out that it's yeah, me. Yeah,
0: because like, I think your hair is a little bit a part of your signature look. Like I think of you with your hair usually. Sure, sure. You know?
1: And I know it's short right now, but I still have my hairline. Okay, and I want you guys yeah. thinking. All right, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is a choice. This is a choice, all right? <laughs> that was a great experience. And right now um, I'm shooting a show called Echoes for Netflix. It's a Netflix limited series. Uh, the star of the show is Michelle Monaghan. Oh, yeah. Um, after that it's Matt Bomer. And then after Matt, it's me.
0: Is it like a murdery thing? What is it? What's yes. That it's like,
1: yep, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a it, there's a murder mystery aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle Monaghan plays twin sisters and, wow. uh, and they're both married and, um, they both were in Virginia, but one sister and her husband moved to LA. Okay. And that's, those are the scenes we're here to shoot. We're, we're almost done. The other couple stays in Virginia, the sisters almost annually switch places. And they think that the husbands don't know there's a reason for that, but that would also again, be a spoiler. And they will like, when they're in transit, they will meet at a certain location, examine each other. If there's been a new scar or a new mark or whatever, they will match it. exactly. You know, one of them speaks with a, you know, Virginia accent. The other is very L.A. So the styles of the two sisters are totally different. So one of the exciting turning points in the show, and I don't think this is really that much of a spoiler, is that my character does know that they're switching. He and he has and he's he's all he's a he's a a psychiatrist.
0: Are you one of the husbands?
1: Yes, I'm one of the husbands. Uh, I'm the L.A. husband. And so uh so he has known and he's always known. And th- and that's a little weird right there.
0: Wait, this is in true. I'm
2: gonna watch Yeah that. I'm watching I'm, yeah. but it, that's what sucks yeah. with TV. It's like we have to wait like what a year and a half? It's like uh I want it so bad. This <laughs> yeah, the seems No, when so this comes good. out, we're gonna get dive right in. That
0: sounds right up my alley. Echoes. I think
1: that should that should probably be Echoes Netflix limited series, only seven episodes, and it should come out later this year, I think. So oh my that's, that's it. That's all I got.
2: Um, well, I I wanted to add I'm from Skokie. I read that you're from Evanston. And so yeah. I got excited.
1: So I guess you could say I'm I'm I was born in Evanston, but I was raised on the south side of Chicago. But okay. technically, born in Evanston. Yeah. I'm a
2: White Sox fan.
1: Okay. Hey. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of all things Chicago. So yeah. I don't I don't take sides. Cubs, White Sox, Bears, Hawks, whatever. It's all good. To me. <laughs>
0: Daniel, is there anything else you want to like? Like any last minute tidbits you want to surround bond memories from the show or anything?
1: Law and Order SVU did a tremendous amount to advance my my standing and position as an up and coming actor. The level of visibility that it afforded me, uh, the income the, to continue to pursue my dream, pay my rent as an actor. It really was probably one of the biggest moments if you want to call it. it. Well, it's over the course of about two and a half years, one of the biggest moments in my development. So it did, it did so much for me. And I always look back on those memories fondly and to all the, the law and order SVU fans out there, you should also keep in mind this show has done the exact same thing it did for me. It has done this for countless actors in New York. It is a, to say it's an iconic show is an understatement. You can't, I can't overesteem how important the franchise has been from a creative standpoint because nobody's ever done what Dick Wolf has done um, but also just from the standpoint that I just uh, that I just enumerated. It's a great place to be.
2: Daniel Sunjata it's great I can't wait to watch the show echoes I can't wait it's like twins secrets give us more Netflix I like that
0: actress too I like Michelle Monahan
2: because a part of me wants to cancel Netflix with another price raise, but for Daniel Sunjata I'm sticking with it (laughs) (laughs) and for our careers I guess we just have to be on fucking Netflix all the time all day every day
0: But I'm really glad you made us do that episode, Lisa. because I mean, you didn't make us, but you suggested (laughs) it. And I just like you were like the bottle moment, the bottle moment. And I was like, do I remember this? And then when I saw the episode, I was like, oh, yeah, this episode is perfect. Twists and turns like so
2: like crazy yeah there's so many elements we love you know we love an expensive store moment we love like a a government worker being kind of shitty like we just like all of these things oh speaking of government worker i a girl from my old college from my christian college she was like yeah you never really went to class and when you were there you were pretty rude to everyone and i was like i don't remember this but then (laughs) memories came to life (laughs) um but What did did we
0: learn from this episode that we haven't learned a thousand times before? Wait, no, but I always covering. Hold on, she works in foster
2: care. Oh, my friend from college, it's part of what we do here and like, you know, looking for Patricia's records and everything. But she works at foster care and she checks foster care parents if they're like doing a good job or not. And I was like, well, what are the signs that you look for when someone's not, you know, you could just tell she goes mostly lying. Like if you say you don't have guns and then I open a door and there's guns, that's a problem. And I go, <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and I, th- I think I could tell that was a problem, yeah. but, um, but she, we talked about the Whoopi Goldberg episode and, um, institutional fail and just like foster care. And it was really, um, interesting oh, that's awesome. to meet someone that does that.
0: Sorry. I didn't mean to completely talk over Lisa, <laughs> but it's not, you
2: know, I like meeting people that are within the the things that we talk about because it means we're doing a good enough job for these people that are inside of it and talking Mm -hmm. about things that matter to them. So it makes me, um, happy, but yes, please. What did we learn? Don't marry a man. If you have children, they'll rape your children. (laughs) No, that's not the lesson.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you gotta look out for red flags. It's like when you were talking about that other podcast, like she just knew something was up, like, trust your intuition, trust your gut. Like, if you feel like your husband's doing something fucking weird. Yeah, I guess check all options. You but this hope- bitch
2: didn't care. That's the thing. What? The girl was like, Um, my dad is the thing. And the mom killed her. You're saying like if you get a gut instinct that this man might be harassing. No, no, your I'm children. talking about the other podcast
0: you were talking about when the woman thought that her husband was cheating, and it turns yeah, out he yeah, was yeah. taking the, the foot. Fu- <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, and I was also like, what? Yeah, don't be Brooke. We learned that. Don't be Brooke. Don't like <laughs> sacrifice your fucking teen daughter so you can be rich and have two kids like with him.
2: Yes, real life, real life. I forget. Yeah,
0: yeah, I was talking about the real one. Um, but also I did not like Kragen in this episode trying to stonewall and make it act like just because you're in a robe and just because like, have we not learned, have we learned nothing from years of SVU and years of real cases in the media where robes and uniforms hide what people's bad acts are, right? Absolutely. I just didn't like that. Daddy Craig's was giving people preferential treatment, but I think in the end he be objective bitch, stuck it to Walter. All right, let's wrap up this postmortem. Just a good episode, and um, I mean, I, I don't know what we learned from. Uh, we learned that like if you're you grow up and your son is Woody Harrelson, you
2: can literally just get away with murder five times. I mean, that guy <laughs> got away with murder a lot of times. Also, you think being in the FBI or an informant or like a worker in the CIA or something is hard? But if this hillbilly could do it, what is stopping all of us from going undercover? <laughs> the fact that the FBI has not reached out to me is such an insult let me help yeah i'm Please willing to would help. be the
0: most unexpected undercover operative
2: right i mean obviously i'm pissed you guys killed martin luther king huey <laughs> p newton like yeah. um i'm <laughs> mad you guys killed all the black panthers and stuff but I, if i need to I'll, I'll help bring down a terrorist <laughs> yes as long as they're what like i'm not gonna help you um you know Cover, if, if you guys have any um people.
0: any contacts within uh the CIA FBI NSA uh <laughs> just uh, drop us a DM or um you know hit us up on what's say kind of, the National Security Association that's like also very um
2: secret okay. but I won't do anything with Homeland got it <laughs> <laughs> She has demands. I am watching Salt Lake and I do love the FBI thing. I just, I'm at episode 12 right now. So you'd uh, be a part of that homeland. You you're like, if it involves a housewife, I will be involved. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but put me in, in a PA outfit. I'll hold a boom mic. I'll get the secrets although the way
0: that they treated her family was fucked up they the way that they had guns on her teen sons yeah was but the videos up.
2: didn't look like the guns were up but the boys did have their hands up
0: yeah that seemed just like a way uh, like you're traumatizing these teen boys because their mom did like a fucking scam over the phone probably because it's weird like,
2: watching people delusional saying they're innocent when it's like we know that you're guilty but you're right have like watching her cry about her children was very was uh, guttural and up. real
0: yeah but it is wild that she's like acting like the FBI didn't do a years long investigation on this yeah the FBI doesn't fuck around like that and the Southern District of New York has like a 99% conviction rate girl you think that you're just like
2: an accident like and everyone else in your company pled guilty like girl. girl 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 anyway let's get
0: into our what would Sister Peg do segment this week this is our weekly segment where we give you guys an organization a book an article some kind of uh resource to give you more info on what we talked about in today's episode and we just were thinking about uh poor patricia and everything she went through so we decided this week that we would direct you towards the american academy of child and adolescent psychiatry's Trauma and Child Abuse Resource Center. I know that's a mouthful, but it is the AACAP. So that is www.aacap.org. They are the leading national professional medical association dedicated to treating and improving the quality of life for children, adolescents, and families affected by mental, behavioral, or developmental disorders. And um, they have an easy to navigate website that has a lot of resources to help educate family on the mental and emotional effects of child abuse and assist them in finding um, child and adolescent psychiatrists in their area, which sounds like an amazing resource. So if you want more info, that's www.aacap.org. And as always, we'll be in the WWSPD highlight on our Instagram page. And I also just wanted on, on a little bit of a personal note to mention that I had a friend, uh, a longtime friend of 20 plus years who passed away this weekend after a um, battle with cancer. And she has an amazing, um, Instagram that she was running. It was, she was doing speaking engagement. She was doing all kinds of things before she passed called no time to waste project. She interviewed, she had a podcast. She interviewed Katie Couric, Matthew McConaughey, Chelsea Handler. She got great people on her podcast and also lesser known people who have amazing stories about their either survival or their, or their, um, living with cancer. So, That is a thing I wanted to just direct you guys to the No Time to Waste Project. I'm going to post that in our stories as well. And um, she also was asking people to donate to First Descents, which is um, First underscore D-E-S-C-E-N-T-S, which is a nonprofit dedicated to helping those with life-threatening illness continue to thrive through the power of outdoor adventure. So if you are feeling generous, um, I'm going to donate to that in the name of my friend. And um, I hope you do too.
2: Um. Thank you, Kara. We're really all sorry to hear that. And I hope you guys are able to give this week because um, a lot of you wrote and said that you do listen all the way to the end of the podcast because you're obsessed with us. So <laughs> thank you so much. Um, And I'm going to switch it over to what we're going to be doing next week in an awkward transition. But <laughs> we will be watching Streetwise feel but we've been waiting for this one for a really long time i think streetwise has been on your requests and our hearts for a really long time season nine episode 11 watch where you watch your svus i refuse to tell you where but you know we did have somebody
0: write in and say that they're sad that you won't
2: do it because they like they like the way you say peacock okay i mean if someone wants to get turned on i will not say no <laughs> like, <laughs> okay um if you <laughs> well now i'm shy now i'm blushing <laughs> listen hulu i can't next week it's a teaser next week next, next week, week when i'm not on, when Lisa. i'm not nervous yeah <laughs> we love right, you guys
0: thank you so much for listening see you next week
2: that's messed up is
0: an exactly right production if you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover,
2: shoot us an email at that's up pod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's up pod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixing engineer Ryo Baum. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. And to Carly Jean Andrews for
0: our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everyone at Exactly
2: Right Media. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun!